Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, it's happening again, people, and there doesn't seem to be anything that anybody can do to stop it. We have seen this movie before on multiple levels. The Clippers down 0-2 for the third straight series. The Clippers win game three for the third straight series. Like the Jazz series, a uh, game six, game three featured an enormous third quarter run, a series of three-pointers going in, the crowd just erupting, and it just felt like, uh, you know, water cascading across the boulders down the valley and just unstoppable force. You know, you can't stop it. And there's nothing to do to stop the Clippers. The Suns slowed it down, fought back a little bit. They gave up like a 25-8 to eight run. Uh, they got down by double digits. They didn't quite get to 20, but it got big. And then they rallied, and they cut it to single digits, but the Clippers pushed it back up into the teens, and that was the ball game. So it, it feels inevitable. It feels like the Clippers are going to win. I know it's just one game, and something else could feel inevitable in game four. And Chris Paul was back. Uh, he didn't shoot the ball well. Devin Booker didn't shoot the ball well. Booker, after breaking his nose in multiple places, multiple breaks, um, was wearing a— Kind of a one of those plastic face masks where Rip Hamilton used to wear them. Other players have worn them, but Rip famously wore it for a long time. So uh, maybe that impacted his vision. I don't know. Chris Paul hadn't played a while. Maybe it was rusty. Maybe it was just one of those things. Uh, they combined and missed 30 shots, and that is just about as poorly as those two can shoot the ball. So And, and everything went right. Everything went right for the Clippers. Paul George took a half-court shot to beat the buzzer at the end of a quarter. And, of course, he banked it in. Uh, just everything going right for the Clippers. I, I do think there are a couple things we can draw from this. One, uh, you know, they experiment. They've got, you know, they got multiple centers. they got three centers. they got three point guards. You know, who's working? Who's the best? I think the point guard thing kind of sorts itself out. I think Reggie Jackson's the guy. Um, but... You know, in any situation, should they play Patrick Beverly? Should they play Ronda? They got to kind of feel that out. And then do they want to go bigger with Zubak? Do they want to go smaller with Morris? And if they go small with Morris, is he going to hit threes? And you don't know until you put him in there. He had three bad games for, against the Jazz. But then in game four and game five, he made shots and he was a you know big difference maker. So they got to figure that out. And it just seems like the deeper they get into the series, the more they figure it out. I also think there's a psychological element to this. I think the Clippers, um, they're good, and they know they're good. And whether it's the regular season or the series, they don't really feel like they have to come out on fire. <laughs> and, and, and could they have had the best record in the NBA if they really wanted and fought for it? I think so. Um, five games, you know, can you play better and win one more game per month? Um, and certainly in these playoffs, oh, two holes, uh, three times in a row, it speaks for itself now. So we'll see. We'll see what they can follow it up here on Saturday in Game 4 and get this series uh, back to 2-2. And we'll see if Chris Paul shoots the ball as poorly, and we'll see if uh, Devin Booker shoots the ball as poorly. Maybe he adjusts to that max mask and gets going again. Um, the other news of the night, the Cubs threw a no-hitter, a combined no-hitter to beat the Dodgers. And uh, the Padre media I, I follow are all retweeting people saying, the Padres broke the Dodgers. It's weird the way these stretches have come and gone, and the Giants have largely avoided them. The Dodgers are into one. The Padres have been in them and out of them a couple times this year. So it's hard to say anything definitive, as much as we think the NBA is a marathon with 81 games, and it is. 
okay, or 82 games, and it is. This year, 72. Um, but Major League Baseball has doubled that with 162 games. So a long way to go. And I just saw a thing about how tough the Giants' schedule gets in July and August, how much the Padres' schedule lightens up. So we'll see how all of that all that plays out. But the Cubs got the no-no. And then, hilariously, apparently the Cubs' bullpen had no idea because their view of the scoreboard, the perspective is bad, and they can't really check out the hits column. So they had no idea. They had, they had no idea. Uh, hard to believe, but apparently no clue. There you go. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Craig Bullerjack talking basketball. Joe Ingles talking basketball later in the hour. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz. But the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to check in with Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz, talking all things jazz and offseason and Mike Conley and where do the jazz go from here. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Smart Rain, the Smart Rain guest line. Craig Bowlerjack joins us on the Smart Rain guest line right now. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at SmartRain.net. Craig Bowlerjack, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, guys. Bowler, we got a tweet we got to talk about and about the future of the Jazz. Um, do you want one moment for the past of the Jazz, or is it too painful and you just like to let it go and you don't want to talk about 81 <laughs> points in the second half of Game 6? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we can do whatever you like. I've relived that multiple times. Uh you know, sitting there at the watch party thinking, hey, 25-point lead, but in the back of my mind going, still not safe. I mean, that's the crazy thing about the league, about the NBA, is um, I, I think even in these playoffs, guys, we, we've seen that no lead is safe. We've seen some miraculous comebacks, uh, one by uh, the Clippers uh, and, of course, Atlanta. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I used to think 25 was a pretty good lead, a, a fairly – strong indication of victory but no more no more well i can't argue with that because it happened yeah yeah yeah, it did happen and you know it's just the power of the three uh terrence Mann, who had his 15 minutes of fame a 39 point performance just kicking threes from the corner and you know defending gobert's been criticized Trying to protect paint rim, jumping out to the perimeter when when teams like the uh, like the Clippers go small, which they did the entire series, except a little bit of Zubats, you know, sprinkled in here and there. Yeah, they 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 attacked the Jazz in multiple ways, and you know, give them credit. Uh, I like to have seen the Jazz, though. Honestly, as was I'm just looking back here for a moment, a healthy Jazz. I really would have loved to have seen what they could have done with Conley and Donovan in the backcourt. Um, you know, even against the Clippers, and uh, they could have swept maybe Memphis, but again, it was it is you know it is what it is, and the Jazz will have to make some decisions on what direction they want to go. Conley, there, I think, is right at the top of the list. I, I believe that they'll want him to stay. The price has got to be right. 
Uh, and if that's the case, and I, yeah. I believe that Conley would want to stay. I would think. You know, I, GK I kind of delved into body language a little bit. I always like to do that this time of year when they go on their exit interviews or when they were available this year. It was kind of different. You know, some talk from their kitchen like Joe did, some talk from their car uh, to the press the day after. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what the Jazz can do financially, right? And I tell you, it's kind of an unpredictable summer because we've never uh, had to watch Ryan Smith in his ownership group make, you know, financial decisions on players, which direction they want to go. And what is Mike's worth, PK? I, that's what I don't know. Um, if and I know analytically – I'm sure there's numbers everywhere in the league, and especially the Jazz, but age would be part of the analytics. Uh, the injuries that he's occurred the last couple of years would be, would be part of that as well. And then the money that would go with that and trying to predict how many games could he actually play for the Jazz um, because this isn't going away, I don't think, the hamstring problem and the age of 34. I mean, those things just happen to players – uh, and Mike's in that 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 process right now of his career. So those are all things, I guess. I'm not, you know, they hire a lot of people to to make those decisions, and sometimes you roll the dice too. I think um, Mike's a great fit and a great leader, and he compliments, you know, what Donovan's trying to do when they're healthy. They're dynamic, but again, I think the bottom line is they have to go through the process of value for games and what the market value is and obviously there's uh they they've got guys who do a, a great job on, on deciding some of those things but also you got to roll the dice and you got to go gut and that's kind of part of the, the business that you, you look in analytics but you still have to look i think sometimes um the gut feeling that goes along with that so there's mike's part of the equation here and we can go round and round and debate this but does he want to stay in Utah? I take him at face value. I think he's genuine. He says he's you know he's liked his time here, likes his coach and his teammates and all that kind of stuff. Right. He wants to win a championship. That's also clear. So as he evaluates not just what rosters are now, but what he thinks rosters are going to be next year. And sometimes as a player, you got to roll the dice. You know, is this team going to acquire this guy? Is this guy going to leave and open playing time and shots for me? Or is this guy going to leave and weaken the team? So Mm -hmm. he's got to all that. But we know who the best teams are, Suns, Lakers, Clippers. You know, does he think the Warriors can be part of a rebuild there? Uh, Who does he like in the East? Does he think Utah's his best chance to win a championship? And then when I throw out some of these teams, PK's like, he's got a young family. Is he really going to go to L.A.? You know, where game day... And if you don't have a helicopter, <laughs> it's like <laughs> game day's an all-day experience. You don't run home after right. shoot-around to see the kids after school. You know, it's not happening. It's just a different lifestyle there. So yeah, do you have but, any feel for what Mike wants? Because if he's willing to take less money, I think we're all pretty sure there'd be some good teams who'd be interested in him. Yeah. No, see, that's it, too. I think you have to see in his mind, if we could, what he is role, what he would be accepting of his role like Derek Favors. Once a starter, and then you come back and declare yourself, okay, I get it. Uh, I know who I am, where I am in my career, and do I want to be a backup you know, guard and take less money for it? And to your point, DJ, do I pick a team that can finally give, like a lot of the guys, right? I mean, look at, you know, uh, Blake Griffin. I mean, he, he he gets out of Detroit, says he can't jump, and the first play he's in with uh, Brooklyn, you know, he's up jamming, you know, jamming he's points dunking, down right. to the net. I mean, 
bottom line is, what's Mike's health? What's his mental state? Does he accept the role of coming off a bench, either either with the Jazz potentially um, or with another team, and understands what the payroll will be for him? Because he's coming off what? Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't the Jazz pick up two years, $64 million? Yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, $32 million a year in that category. He may have had 34 this year. Maybe it bumped up uh, a couple million in the final year of his contract. So, yeah, he has decisions, too, to make, right? So do the Jazz, and can they? Can the two sides speak and be honest about what each other needs and, you know, kind of build more, I think, depth and him running a second unit or blending with the first group and the second? I mean, all those things come into play. Or is he at a point in his career where he wants to jump and try working with LeBron and the Lakers for one final push there in L.A.? Um and, and, again, find his best opportunity for a, for a title. Look, he's an all-star, but also the problem is he's he, the league knows he's been off-injured. And so those two don't really, you know, blend well for some GMs. But the Jazz know who he is, and he knows who the Jazz are. And I think that's the one-up that, that Utah has uh, on retaining Conley. Um, but, again, it's, it's going to be a tough decision. Sometimes, though, what your point is, and maybe it isn't, because young kids, young family, how easy is it just to get around in Utah? And he goes to school, if I'm not mistaken, with what, uh, Joe's kids? That's what Joe said. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a bond there. And, you know, you do think about young young children at 34 and what you're trying to do and accomplish, but at the same time, you know you're at the, the end of your career beginning to, to, you know, see the sunset on it. So you, this may be his final contract, so he's he's probably taking that into into a consideration as well. But you know, a heck of a guy, and when he's healthy, he still has a, a lot a lot of talent on the floor, as we saw. So I'm fascinated by the Ryan Smith situation. You know, he takes over and he runs a multi-billion-dollar company. So obviously, he's got the high level of intelligence, and the, he takes over and the thing's a machine. It's running on its own, and you're not, you know, you're not going to do a whole lot until the off seasons. That's when you make your major moves. And so here we are. Yeah. And I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what my question is to you, but all I know is that I'm intrigued. Me too. I mean, PK, I, I, like I said, I, I, I think, you know, we were so used to knowing, kind of predicting what the Miller family would do. They were going to always be aggressive. I think Dennis quoted multiple times in the offseason, the Millers, you know, tell me to do the best move, and if it costs a few extra bucks, do it. Now, I don't, I don't know. I'm intrigued, too. I don't know what Ryan's, you know, business uh, operation mindset is with the Jazz. I do know that he wants to win a championship. I mean, I, I think we've seen the aggressive approach in building a base of ownership uh, that includes Dwayne Wade, which I think was a shock, but also a huge move by Ryan. And then um, what is Dwayne Wade? That's the intriguing part. How involved? We saw him sitting courtside you know, shoulder to shoulder with Ryan uh, during the playoffs and even during the regular season, and how involved is D Wade in, in some of these decisions or consulting Ryan on some of the decisions that that need to be made to win a championship? Because guess who knows how to win one? Wade. So you're right; it's intriguing. It's the first off season with uh, with Ryan and his family and the ownership group, 
and we'll see how aggressive in spending because he's got two high-level players that he already has under uh, large near multi, what do you call it, or max contracts. And to add more to that to that salary obviously pushes him closer and over uh, the luxury tax. So it's it will be interesting to see what direction he wants to go. So I don't know if you know Clevis Murray. I've been looking him up just in the last 10 minutes because he's put out a tweet that will be of interest to Jazz fans. And he writes as a contributor for The Athletic, from what I can find online in a quick search here. Looks like he used to work up in the Pacific Northwest um, for a cable outlet up there. Uh, And he's got a lot of NBA tweets. Um, And the location on his account is, uh, let's see here, he's got uh, Dorchester, Massachusetts. So basically suburban Boston. Here's his tweet, Bowler. I'm told there's a disconnect in the relationship between Dennis Lindsay and Quinn Snyder. There's been some belief Lindsay could depart from the team. Snyder signed a long-term contract extension with the Jazz in 2019. There has been no shortage of people with ties to BYU. And Ryan Smith obviously has ties to BYU. But apparently among people who are in the athletic world in Provo, uh, that Ryan is really tight with Danny Ainge, and with Brian Santiago, and one way or another, in role, one role or another, those two guys at some point will be involved with the Jazz. Mm-hmm. Now, to PK's point, is that this offseason? Is that next offseason? I mean, we know when Gail Miller was up there at the press conference, you know, Ryan, you're at the point we were when we bought the team. So there's a long time for this to play out. And no one has given me specific times on it, but multiple times they said these two guys are too tight with Ryan not to be involved with the Jazz at some point. Mm-hmm. So you hear you know, this tweet, and yeah. you hear whatever you hear inside the Jazz organization. And for people who don't know, Bowler used to be at KSL and used to call BYU games and still knows people at BYU. What have you heard? What do you think? What do you know? Those may not be the same things. I get that. Yeah. Well, I think what you just said is an indicator that what Ryan wants to do, it's his team. And I think we all know, right, in our experiences in mine at KSL and CBS and Fox and ESPN, when management changes, the guys who hired me, they come and go. Um, And that was really evident, you know, at CBS and Fox. And so we always were worried about, well, the next guy comes in, brings in, quote, as we all know, PK, their guy or his guy. Or maybe, again, they have in a world that is ever-changing, uh, you know, a woman in an executive position, right? Ryan wants to be very diverse. Uh, I think that's very clear. So those conversations don't surprise me, DJ, at all. Um, he is close uh, to the BYU sports world, and it's his, it's, his, it's his team. And, you know, I think everyone braces for change. And that is something I wouldn't be surprised happens, whether it's this year, as you said, or next. I don't think he's a guy that owns a multi-billion dollar company, makes really snap quick decisions unless he, you know, has the information in front of him. Um, so that, again, will be, be another part of this whole puzzle, This, as PK just said, the intrigue of how he operates and who he wants in certain places, and if he will make change. 
I think we just sit back and, and wait. But to your point, yes, you are correct in your assessment of his closeness of Santiago, who I remember very well in call games for when he played. And obviously, I don't know Danny Ainge, but, you know, he wants Scott to work, I don't think, full-time consulting for a team, possibly, like a Jerry West, a Pat Riley. Who knows uh, what's down the road. But um, I think probably this offseason, everyone's kind of waiting to see if change is coming at the highest of level. And if that's the case, that's going to impact decisions on players, right? Um so I think a lot, a lot. The only thing I can see is we'll probably find out together and when this thing, if anything happens, and it may not. Uh, but again, with new ownership and getting back to PK's, you know, he didn't have a question, but he had a statement about intrigue. I'm, I, I totally agree. I can't predict what Ryan will do. I think the Millers we kind of knew well, but you know they wanted to steady as she goes. And look, Jerry Sloan was was here forever because of that steadiness, and. You know, there were times he was fearful that he was going to lose his job. and But Larry was very, boy, what would be the word? You know, he was devoted but also understood what stability meant in his company and also in, in, with the Jazz. And, uh, you know, Jerry left on his own accord. He left his way. It was surprising, but he left, you know, left that way. Uh, and we'll see how, how it plays out with the Ryan Miller ownership. You know, this could be another 30-year run of ownership. And I know, you, and again, I go back to the one thing I remember talking to him about and what he said in his press conference, is again, he wants to win a title. And he may be very aggressive in that nature. And he may do things that will he thinks will help them, you know, help the Jazz get there. And so, again, it's just one of those things that we'll wait and see what direction he goes. And it's going to be intriguing, too. I'm anxious to see how this summer plays out. Bowler, we appreciate the time, as always. Thanks for joining us. I hear Joe's up. Joe is coming up. Joe's so up. You, Joe's, Joe's up, up in about. Uh, Joe's up in about fifteen minutes. So real quick, he uh, is taking off. Is he going right to the, where are they having camp? The, uh, the Australians are they going to Paris and then to Tokyo? Uh, he said he's going to L.A. Going to L.A. Okay, all right. Well, that's where the layover is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to have a layover, a little layover. Every time you fly to Hawaii, you got to lay over for an hour and a half in L.A., right? Yeah. You Take get, the early morning flight, then you go get a little uh, burrito and kill time, then you get on a plane yeah. and you fly to Hawaii. You've gone through Phoenix, actually. You can get a workout if he wants. You know? Yeah, but I fly. I don't fly charter. Well, if you fly charter, you don't go through Phoenix. If you fly charter, you go direct. Well, yeah, but I thought you were meeting Sarver in Phoenix, and then you guys were going, what do I know? You're, you, you, Craig, do you know he has a blue check mark on his Twitter? I didn't, I didn't know that until today. DJ does? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, blue check mark. You know what? I tried to uh, to apply, and I still haven't heard anything. Yeah. I mean, well, I may be denied, but DJ's climbed the ladder. Sure, sure. Of, yep, yep. And, and, he, and he tries to play it off. Oh, there's no status. So, well, then the, why have it? He's got a blue check mark on his Twitter account. And, and I got like 52 followers, and he's got a he's got a blue check mark. Jeez, he's even wearing blue today. Wow. Just throwing DJ, stuff against the wall. This is just random association time with PK. When did, when did this happen? Oh, he's, he's been holding out for me for a long time, and uh, I thought more, we, I thought we had a partnership. Jeez. More than a year. I feel like Kay, when she found out Michael had been back in the States for a year. I just clo- slowly closed the door on him, left him out there. Wow.
<laughs> See, that's the beauty of you two, man. It's, it's, it's a marriage. You, know, it, you, you argue, but you still get along. And sometimes my needs aren't being met. That's right. I want a blue check mark. How dare you? How dare you? Yak is both horrified and entertained at the same time. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Buller. All right, guys. See you soon. Take care. Here's Craig Buller, Jack, TV voice of the jazz. When we come back, the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Ingalls. Stay with us. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz, Jingle Bells, Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Time to welcome in Joe Ingles. Joe, good morning. Good morning. Joe, are we getting you in Utah? Have you gone off to join the Boomers and pursue the Australian Olympic dream? And you're in L.A. or Vegas? or What's going on? Where are you? Um, I'm in Utah right now. Um going to LA tomorrow morning um, for our first little kind of mini camp um, which has been kind of rushed for me obviously because I had already told them a long time ago that I would not be at this part of it um, so yeah trying to figure out some information in, and all that leading into it uh, this last few days just to, to figure it all out because obviously um, in my mind and, and even the team um, the, the boomers they Obviously, it's planned for, for me not to be there. So, um, I guess a little bit disappointing from one side that I am going, but obviously excited to get with, with the guys as well um, tomorrow and, um, yeah, kind of start that campaign of, of winning a medal. So, how are you going to handle all this stuff during the offseason with the international as far as making sure your body is getting the type of recovery and staying in shape and improving your game and all the things that you would normally do in the offseason? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll be busy. <laughs> um, I actually had a nice little... Um, obviously, I'm still, like I've said, every offseason, I'm speak to coach and figure out some things that I can get better at or what, what I can work on and um, I'm still going to have time to do those things. Um, the, the staff we have with the Boomers is, is um, a lot of different people from all over the place. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll have coaches, I'll, I'll have rebounders and stuff like that. I'll be able to get individual work in um, as, as well as obviously getting ready with, with the team. So um, we've got a good medical team and, and fitness staff and all that. Uh, so, so I'll have I'll have enough time. Obviously, I'll be flying around a little bit here and there and traveling. Um, 
but I'll do whatever I have to do to make sure I'm getting my, the, the right amount of lifts in, um, not only for the Olympics, but for, for the, the preparation of, of next year as well and um, the right amount of recovery in. This, this first camp I'm going to tomorrow, I'm not going to really be doing anything. Um, more, more to be with the guys and um, this will kind of start my preparation. So I'll, I'll still lift. Um, I've been lifting all this week anyway. Um, obviously, get recovery and I'll shoot a couple times, but but nothing too strenuous this, this next few this next week in in LA. And um, yeah, just make sure I'm I'm on top of everything um, so that well, obviously one I'm ready for the Olympics and and trying to trying to do my best there, and then obviously preparing for for next season as well. So you've had a few days to let it uh, sink in, and when you look back, like where where did it go horribly wrong? What the heck happened? Uh, I mean, it's it's something we'll probably obviously look and watch over the next few months. You, you, I was talking to, to JC yesterday, and it still feels like we should be preparing for a game. Like it still doesn't mm-hmm. like kind of feel too real that we're actually out. So, um, I mean, obviously the second half of that last game was. It was, I mean, I, I can't even be bothered going into specifics or, or whatever right now. It's, it's, there's nothing changing that right now. But obviously, there's things we need to, to either work, kind of work on. Um, obviously, got to there's some key key pieces with Mike and stuff that we need to figure out what what that situation looks like, um, and then kind of figure out individually what we can all do to be better next year. What what the, obviously the team will do what what they what they do or what they want to do um, in terms of the roster that's obviously a little bit out of the, the player side of it control um, but all of us kind of looking at ourselves what we can do obviously we were a little bit beat up with a, a couple injuries and, and that's not an excuse or anything but that's just the the way it was and we, we played kind of reasonably well throughout the year with, with missing some guys but we obviously obviously fell short in that second half um, they, they did play unreal in that second half, so you got to give a little bit of credit to them for what they did and how they played. But obviously, we felt like we, especially the way we played in the first half, we um, obviously thought we'd, we'd have a good shot at, at winning that game. So um, I said it in my exit meeting the, the day after or whatever day it was. That for me, it was probably the toughest loss that, that we've had since I've been here um, with what we've done in the regular season and. Um, the, the first round with Memphis obviously playing a, a young kind of gritty team but we're able to get through that being up 0-2 and then um, we, we played some really good quarters and halves but, but we, we didn't really put it all together to, to win that series so um, once again you, you go, you're going back to look at yourself individually obviously the team will look at the team and, um, and we'll prepare for uh, not right now, but slowly get our minds right to, to be ready for, for the start of next year. Guys usually support other guys in their business decisions. You know, you had been, uh, took the high road sure. when, when Hayward left and all that. Now you got Mike Conley, but I think you're on record as saying, you know, you certainly want him back. And in classic Joe Engel style, I'll go back there to his mansion. So you get in a little shot, but your point is uh, taken that you'll do whatever you can do. How will you handle that? As far as getting involved with Mike's decision, um, I mean, I'll be as involved as either the club wants me, or um, obviously, I'm going to I'm going to speak to him anyway. I've got a, a we have a 
great relationship. Our, our my my daughter and his son are in the same class, and so there's there's a lot of things that connect us, um, not just on the court, but but off the court as well. So our wives are going to a, a thing tonight together. Um, so um, yeah, there's there's a lot of things. Obviously, first and foremost, just as a basketball player, that uh, I think I mean if if fans didn't want him back too, I would be struggling to figure out why. Uh, I think he showed obviously after that first year and, and getting more comfortable and being a lot more healthy this year um, what he does for our team. like the, Not just on the court, but off the court he's, he's obviously a great teammate and all that. We don't need to, to dive into to all of that now, but um, I think he, he, he showed what, what he does for our organisation on the court and, and obviously off. So if if they want me to be heavily involved, I will. If they want me to, to just kind of let them handle it, obviously Ryan and, and his team, um, whatever they need. But I, I'm going to obviously, regardless, I'm going to be texting him and talking to him all summer. Um, like I said, Al, there's a lot more connection than, than just the basketball side. So um, obviously I hope he comes back. Um, and we'll, I, I, I mean, I know Ryan and, the front office will, will do it from their part or what they need to do. Um, I think the other side of it too, for, for Mike and, and just thinking in, in Mike's mind, I don't think he's ever been a free agent either. So for him to rush, rush a decision, I, I don't see that happening. Um, whether he wants to be here or not, um, I think he'd always, you guys might know more, but I think he'd always extended with Memphis before he even ever got to being a free agent. So I don't think he's ever actually being an unrestricted free agent where he can actually sit down with the team or, or two and figure out where he wants to do. Obviously, he's got a family that will take a, a part of, of that decision as well, where they want to be and what they want to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, we'll we'll support him, like you said. Obviously, I hope the support is, is him, his, him coming back here. But, um, like I said, I'll do my part if I can, and, and I know the club will, and the, the rest is kind of up to him, I, I think. He did say in his uh, exit interview with the media that he had not been a free agent before. Yeah. So that, uh, yeah, that I think out there. I don't think it's like a like you you're gonna take meetings with other teams. I mean, I had all my meetings lined up. It's just that I met with the Jazz first, and I decided to say screw it and just sign right away. <laughs> I didn't. So, like, it's not a uncommon thing for guys to to meet with other teams. So. Initially, I wouldn't be reading into that too much. Once you get into those meetings and it's a few days in, then you can kind of figure out a little bit more of what might go on. But, um, again, it's, it's Mike's decision. It's his family's decision. And, again, we obviously hope he comes back and, and I'll do everything I can. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Are you looking at, with your age, being this the last opportunity to play with your national team? And if so, how much more does Hell it mean? No. No hell no, is that what you said? I'm I'm playing till the wheels fall off with that one. That's uh <laughs> I mean that's just something obviously as I get older, um yeah, you start to think like will this be my last Olympics? Will it be my last time kind of being able to represent my country or, or whatever? Um I honestly haven't thought of that. I've always my my Patty Mills and I have had this kind of thing for, I mean, we first made the team in 2008 in Beijing 
Um, this would be our fourth Olympics together. Um, obviously, we feel like we're kind of the, the, the leaders of this group and, and trying to win this medal. We, we've never won a medal at a major tournament, um, obviously that being a World Cup or, or an Olympic Games. We've been so close the last few kind of couple campaigns. And the, my mindset with the whole thing and the way I go about it is is purely to, to win a medal with, with some of my, my best friends. It's, um, it, it's something the over the last, like I said, couple campaigns, we've we've had a roster and, and team that's been able to, to to achieve that. We have obviously fallen short, but I mean, I remember in 2008 in Beijing, like we we had a good team. I would never um, put any of my teams down or anything like that. But I don't know if we ever had a chance to actually win a medal. We 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 made the quarterfinals, uh, my first two Olympics, and crossed over with with, with Team USA in the quarterfinals, which is. Um, at that point, was a, a tough ask for us to do. We had, uh, I think, Bogan and Paddy were the only two NBA players we had, and the rest of us played in Australia or in Europe. So, as we've gone on, we've obviously, I mean, majority of our roster now is either NBA players or had recently been in the NBA. Um, obviously, with, like I said, what well, the last campaign, couple of campaigns, we, we believe we can win a gold medal or, or worst case scenario, a medal. So, if we don't, for us, it's a it's a failure, um, and we've obviously kind of failed these last couple of campaigns. And I know Paddy's the same as me. My whole mindset is that, like, I'm, I'm obviously if I'm healthy and able to, I'm I'm not going to give up on this opportunity until until we win a medal. So um, if we win a medal this summer, maybe that'll be it for me. Maybe not, but um, I, I just love it too much. I, I the pride I have representing my country and. Um, having my family support me, and it's not just as playing for ourselves or this medal. It's we're, we're representing a country. We're representing, like I said, my family. Um, it's something obviously I take a lot of pride in. So um, I'm, I'm lucky that the Jazz have always supported me in that too. And um, yeah, we'll see where it takes us. Uh, I don't know. I would I would never put a uh, a restraint on my my Australian Boomers career. Okay. So the NBA draft is coming up. And there aren't a lot of international players near the top of the draft this year, but I couldn't help but noticing the one guy who's projected as a middle-of-the-first-round guy, Josh Giddy, a guard from Adelaide, 6'8". I was wondering if you know anything about him. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, I do. I actually have... Um, so I've always been pretty open to, to obviously trying to help players or obviously more Australians. <laughs> um but obviously helping kind of younger, that, that next kind of group coming up. And for, for Australia, he was that guy. And, and I reached out to him probably over a year ago now. I just said, if you ever need anything or wanted to talk or... Um, and we've actually spoken more than I probably ever predicted. Whenever you give these options to, to kids, you, you never know where they'll take it. And, and Josh has been unreal uh, with, with asking questions and... Um, I watched a ton of games. He, he played for the Adelaide 36ers, which is my hometown. Um, so I know a lot of people around that, that organization. And, and obviously my family still lives there. And um, yeah, really good kid. Really, really, really high IQ. Um, I don't want to compare him to Lonzo, but that type of like pass first point guard mentality is, is how he plays. Um, really good in pick and roll, really good passer. Like you said, I think six, eight or whatever, like tall point guard. Um, Still, obviously, some things to work on is his shooting and stuff. Is stuff that 
Um, I think it's like what I've talked about. It, if you're not in the NBA, it's it's always harder to work on your game because you're working with like his team this year probably had 12, 15 players, and they had I think they had two or three coaches. So we, we've talked about that on here before. That the attention to um, the time that you get to pay attention to your own game is it is tough. So um, he still had done a lot of that. Like I said, I, I spoke to him and tried to get him even during his MBL season, trying to get him as prepared as possible um, just to be ready for what he's going to face here and uh, I guess trying to help him and talk to him of, of uh, how teams will play him here. Teams will go under the start. They'll force him to shoot. They'll, um, yeah, everyone gets kind of tested defensively when you first come over here. So um, he's got all the right tools. He, he, he works his ass off. He, he's an incredibly hard worker, um, which is a, is a really good start. I think if you're coming in the NBA with high IQ and you, you work your ass off, you, you've got two things that are um, that are going to translate. So, um, yeah, I'm excited for him. He's actually in LA right now. He, I was talking to him yesterday. He'll, he'll be at camp with us with the Boomers. and um, I mean, I hope he makes the, the, the team. I don't know what that looks like with, with Ross Spots and I have to wait till I get there and, and, and get with the guys. But um, incredibly talented kid and I'll... I mean, I'll be working out with him a little bit as of tomorrow. So I'm excited for for him and obviously for me to, to get there with him and work out. Yeah, I don't know what he's necessarily predicted to go. I think I think it was always kind of first round somewhere. I think he he did draft, uh, kind of get his stock rising a little bit with, with the way he played in the NBL this year. He had a few triple doubles and, and, and played really well. So um, I don't know what peak we have, but it'll be, if he wants to come here as a... Maybe if Mike leaves, we'll uh, we'll get Josh Giddy. <laughs> <laughs> so your schedule obviously is going to be pretty tight. You going to have any opportunity to go home? No, um, which absolutely sucks. Um, I we actually just applied for an exemption for Renee again uh, just recently and got denied for the third time. So um, yeah, obviously sucks with with that part of it because um, I think Renee was just saying yesterday. I think it's basically about two years now since we've been home, which for me isn't the biggest worry. I'm used to being away and not seeing my family, but Renee's extremely close with, with her family and, and all that. And her, they've never met Jack, um, who's seven months now. Um, Renee's brothers recently had twins, um, just coming up to a year now. So just just those type of things obviously get to probably Renee more, to, more than me, and it gets to me when it gets to, to Renee, uh, which... Which is hard. Um, we'll uh, we'll try and figure out a way. We can either try and either get some family here, but she, she'll be in Utah um, the whole time while I'm away. Um, so yeah, it's, it's tough. I'll be obviously LA this week, and then I come back for a few days, and then obviously away again on the fifth to go to Vegas for a couple of weeks, and then Tokyo. So um, if you guys want to go and babysit or something, let me know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it sucks because yeah. Yeah, I got no you want to go home, you want to see your family, but um, obviously we understand uh, kind of with COVID and what's going on in the world. I got no problem watching your American son. He's not American, he's Australian. I've got three Australian children. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, but it'd be good if the family could meet the future president of the United yeah. States. I mean, he's going to be rooting for the U.S., man. He's going to, he's going to oh, bring no, him the gold. Oh, <laughs> oh, now you've crossed a line. It's one thing for him to be in the White House. That gets Joe to the Lincoln bedroom. But yeah, playing for the say. U.S. That's the, only, that's the only thing I'd support. If he, if he can get to uh, 
the president or something like that. And I'll, I'll support him with that. But anything else won't be done. Um, you should see the way he lights up when I walk in the room. There's no way he'll be cheering for America. He gets, <laughs> okay, you realize I was only joking. <laughs> I mean, he might. It doesn't, I mean, it is what it is, right? I'll still I'll have to teach him some lessons. But um, no, nah, we'll, we'll be here. Obviously, we're pretty comfortable here too. Renee's comfortable. And, um. She was actually planning her her birthday dinner, and she was like, "I wouldn't." She invited like twenty people. She's like, "I wouldn't have been able to invite twenty people a year or two ago." So, oh, nice. We've uh, we've got a lot of friends and, and close friends here now and stuff. So it's um, yeah, we we enjoy it here, but obviously getting home would be would be nice, but it won't be probably now until next off season. So um, it's a long way away, but we'll uh, <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Yeah, yeah. Well, Joe, we appreciate you coming on for another year. Up, oh, PK's got one more. Well, yeah, for another year, Joe. Yeah. So that's seven down. You're, you've set the record. I mean, basically, your stint with us has been longer than every Kardashian marriage. So that's very oh. impressive. Uh, but that's throwing JC under the bus. JC was. <laughs> well, you did, not me. Uh, are, are we? We're going to make it eight, right? Yeah, I'm down. I, I'm I'm cool. I Good. as much as I mean, it's my show anyway. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you guys if you guys want to come on for another year and we do um, very much so. <laughs> that would be good. We'll uh, we'll get back to it. I I was just telling Jake before I'll I'll be I'll be around in the next couple of weeks anyway in America, and then we can try and do one via Tokyo internet if that works. Japan Japanese internet. I don't know how that works all over there, but if we can make it work, we will. That's good. I was just uh, I was just talking to a guy who's going to be over there for the Olympics. We'll have multiple Olympic correspondents. That'll be awesome. Oh, there you go. They can ask me some silly questions of yours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe. We appreciate it, and we will definitely take you up on the offer. We will we will follow the international portion of your basketball career closely. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, Joe. Thanks, guys. There is Joe Ingles talking a little NBA, talking a little Olympics, and uh, off to L.A., and then home, and then off to Vegas, and then off to Tokyo, and away they go. So, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Go bear with France, and um, Joe with Australia, and then we'll see if Croatia qualifies with Bojan Bogdanovic. Um, I think this is all highly scripted, though, trying to get guys rest. Joe only, you know, getting a few shots in this camp but not really going hard. Guys' bodies need downtime, and LeBron's there saying, I told you so, and look at all these injuries because all these guys play. Yeah, and the union voted for it, and now a bunch of the guys are going to go play some more internationally. So go figure. To each their own, right? All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, all the headlines. What is trending? Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NBA. The two inbounds quickly for George. Gets it about 60 feet away. George at the full court logo. Puts it up. Put it in! Paul George off the window! He does it every pregame, makes one of those before the game, and it all pays off as George goes glass to finish the third. A miraculous shot for PG-13, gives him 23, and the Clippers will go into the fourth, up 80-69. to Into the front court, get it to Jackson, left wing, open for three, book it! 
Reggie Jackson from the outside. And the Clippers go back up by 11. 94-83 with 6.02 to go in the fourth. Timeout call by Monty Williams. And the Clippers win the game 106-92. Here we go again, PK. The Clippers down 0-2 for the third straight series. Clippers win game three for the third straight series. Here comes the comeback. Yeah, they, uh, Ty Lue changing his lineup again, putting man in the starting lineup. He responds. Uh, Zubach with a big game. I thought the thing that drives me nuts, and I've been following the Suns obviously for a number of years, particularly this season, it's clear the guards, Paul and Booker, didn't have it going on. You're 10 for 40. Mm-hmm. Get the friggin' ball to Aiden. He was 9 for 13 and crushing it. He finished with 18 points and 9 boards. They are struggling to contain him. That's not enough FGAs. It just isn't, man. And you went, you got it down to 8, and you went 3 mm-hmm. plus minutes without scoring. Get the ball to Aiden. See what he can do. You're not hitting. Whether it's Beverly's defense and uh, Paul's rust or Devin Booker's broken nose, you know, probably a combo of everything, as it usually is in a lot of situations where there's a whole bunch of factors. But I just don't understand why Aiton is not getting more of an opportunity. It makes zero sense to me. I I ain't no basketball coach. I never played no game. But just seems like I know we got to shoot threes. That's the thing. Get as many threes up as you could possibly do. I mean, if that's the philosophy, you can shoot a friggin' three every possession if you want. Hmm. How about you get the best shot? If it's a three, so be it. But they weren't hitting. Get the ball inside. Let Aiden do something. Aiden seems like you ought to punish that uh, small lineup of the Clippers. Now, Zubak did play 33 minutes yeah. in this game. Right. But that's still 15 minutes you know, how much can you match up his time against their guys or is Lou going to, their smaller guys, or is Lou going to adjust to that? How's that going to work? I mean, that's kind of the nature of the series, tinkering with that throughout games, trying to figure out how to make that happen if you can. So the Clippers win game three. And as far as uh, Paul George, you know, what drives me nuts is that guys will fling the ball, but they hold on to it so often so they don't get the missed field goal they're probably going to get when they shoot from 40, 50, 60 feet, wherever they are. With all these advanced analytics, why are you guys worried about their their three-point percentage? Can't you take that out of it? Can't you figure out, hey, this guy's throwing? Because if you throw it up at the end of the quarter, you might make it. Holding on to the ball doesn't make any sense. Are you sure people do that? Yes. Right, Paul George to, didn't. You'll have to point out to me the next time it happens. Okay. Call me. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> Uh, Paul George had 27 points, so yes, he missed the two free throws, and yes, that feeds into the long-standing narrative of he's not getting it done. But he came back with 27 points, 15 rebounds, and eight assists. It's an awfully big game. He didn't shoot a great percentage, uh, but he kept shooting, he kept scoring, and his team won. And and it was more about the defensive end of the floor. I mean, the Sun shot less than 39%. So Paul George is a fine player. I missed two free yep. throws. I got it. He's a fine player. I'd love to have him on my team. So that's 2-1 to one now with the uh, Suns still in the lead and the Clippers getting ready to host Game 4 tomorrow. In the East, it's Hawks and Bucks. Game 2 Eastern Finals in Milwaukee. Tip-off tonight, 6.30 on ESPN. I'm so nervous, man. The Suns. I've waited my whole life to win a championship. <laughs> and now? It's right here. And you got a bad feeling. Oh, man. I'm nervous. Nervous about my, my, my childhood team. So the coaching carousel, people looking like they're getting hires here. Jason Kidd is lining up a coaching staff 
for Dallas. Way to go. Rick Carlisle settles in Indiana. Are you two dopes told he was me a he head was coach assistant. Too. He was, but he was both. He was an assistant, went to the Pistons, and then went back to the Pacers as a head coach. And I told yous. Yes, did. Jeez. Yes, did. No, that's, that's a good one right is only, it's plural. Learn your freaking Eastern language. Learn your jersey. I thought it was yes instead of use. Use, okay. use. Y-O-U-S-E, use. That's uh, when it's double, when it's plural. Yeah, and that's great, And the, but tell me who's on the team. Four years, $29 Because is Jason Kidd better than Rick Carlisle? I mean, I really realized Rick Carlisle resigned and all he that. Walked. But roster more than coaches. Yeah. At any time, we talk about this lock, he's coming up at 8 o'clock. At any time, it feels to me like there's 20 coaches in the NBA who know what they're doing. The problem isn't the coach not knowing what they're doing. The problem is the coach looks at the bench and he doesn't have the right op- or he looks at the starters. He doesn't have the right options. He doesn't have the best guys. Not all the time. And sometimes the coaching moves are necessitated. That's why I said 20 out of the 30. And Atlanta, they needed to make a move. And they made a move, and it completely changed their season. Okay, you got to stop saying that. Now you drive me nuts. It's a great example, and it's current. (laughs) You get mad if I go back 10 or 20 years and pick one. I go back. I go back. (laughs) Early start today. (laughs) Well, he said he goes back. And I just heard that song driving in. It's a good song. <laughs> Discussions on the future of Ben Simmons in Philadelphia have started. His agent's involved. Rich Paul, Clutch Sports CEO. Paul engaged the Sixers on whether it would make sense to work together to find a trade before the start of the next season. No formal trade request was made. But do we think kind we know what's going ironic that Clutch Sports is with Ben Simmons. See? Good point. The epitome of non-clutch here. Oh, there you go. I'm going to start my own agency, non-clutch sports. Now, if I had a friend like Rich Paul did, I'd be good to go. Or dad. If you could just be friends with Luka Doncic, you'd really have <laughs> something going there. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. NFL has approved a plan in which teams can wear alternate helmets with their throwback uniforms starting in 2022. Tweet there, they use alternate color helmets. So it's just going to become like jerseys. They're just going to rotate through. Do you sell as many helmets, though, as you sell jerseys? I get why they do it with jerseys. They're going to be able to cash in I on think helmets. It's more of just make, completing the look. Like, look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that old school cream and cream. So the helmet doesn't match the jersey. And that's what they're hoping to get more matched up. All right, there you go. 49ers star George Kittle told ESPN when asked if the way his position is being undervalued bothers him. 100% it does. I think tight end is the most unique and diverse position. It's the most fun position because it's the only one on the field where you get to do everything the football player does. You run block. You pass protect. You get to run routes. You catch the football. We do everything. This is what happens right before uh, he goes all diva wide receiver on us. He wants more money. up to it? Pay me money. He wants more money. I got it. We all do. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Kimbrell is ready. And the 0-2. Swing and a miss. The Cubs have done it. A combined no-hitter for the first time in the long and legendary history of the Chicago Cubs. And the Cubs win the ball game by a score of 4 to nothing. 
Cubs are jumping up and down and hugging each other on the mound. Zach Davies will get the win. Zach Davies, Ryan Tapera, Andrew Chafin, and Craig Kimbrell combine on a no-hitter, the 17th no-hitter in franchise history. Cubs blanked the Dodgers for nothing, and the bullpen didn't know what was going on, PK. Apparently, they didn't have a good view of the of the scoreboard and didn't realize it was a no-hitter. No clue. Shouldn't matter. Job is to get guys out. Don't worry about that stuff. If it happens, it happens. I mean, a combined no-hitter doesn't have near the luster as a single guy doing it. No, it doesn't. It's more an oddity. It's nice. You know, the objective is to win the game. The Cubs are having a nice season. Cubs are tied with the Brewers for first place yeah. in the Central Division. Right. Dodgers now have lost four in a row. Got swept by the Padres. Now they get no hit by the Cubs, so they have dropped four and a half games behind the Giants in the National League West. They are now tied with the Padres for second place. Nearly had another no-hitter because the Rays were getting no hit by Boston, but Boston wasn't scoring, and the Rays eventually get a hit and get a run and win on a walk-off wild pitch, one to nothing. You were just talking yesterday about, don't want a bunch of one-nothing games, but they can be interesting. That one was certainly an oddity. Yeah. Rays are now, uh, that moves them past Boston into first place in the American League East as those two can hand that back and forth for a while. Rays are now up by half a game over the, over the Red Sox. We were talking about the Diamondbacks, and they had a, long road, had a long losing streak. They have a long road losing streak, and so do the Orioles. They have lost 20 straight road games. Blue Jays win 9 to nothing. Yeah, but it's in Buffalo, so that didn't really count. <laughs> that was a neutral field game. Uh, Yankees ride an Aaron Judge homer and a Gary Sanchez homer, and they blast the Royals 8-1. to The Yankees are four games back of the Rays in the, uh, in the East right now. You can ignore my Astros. They won like 11 in a row. Your Astros are crushing it. They beat the Tigers 12-3. to And the Astros, those 11 straight wins, moved them two games in front of Oakland in the American League West. Pittsburgh's nine-game losing streak is over. Don't really ignore your Pirates either. Pirates beat the Cardinals eight to two, and that moves Pirates to put, terrible. puts Pittsburgh into twenty-seven and forty-six, fourteen games back as we give our daily standings update. <laughs> and most importantly, <laughs> seven and a half games behind Arizona in the race for the number one pick in the Major League Baseball draft. Bees lose to the Aviators. Give up a couple late. Lose 8-6. to six. Las Vegas gets the win. Game 2 tonight at Smith's Ballpark. Get your tickets at SLBs.com or listen to the action here on the Zone Sports Network. And Yankee legend Yogi Berra, you stood outside his childhood home in St. Louis. Have, yeah. Been immortalized in a stamp. U.S. Postal Service issuing a Yogi Berra stamp. Dedicated during a ceremony at the Yogi Berra Museum and Learning Center in Little Falls, New Jersey. Available at post offices nationwide. Right across the street, Joe Garagiola's home. Down at the end of the block, Jack Buck. But Buck did not grow up there. It was when he was the St. Louis announcer. Little Falls, New Jersey. Is that your end of the state or is that down by Philly? No, it's north. He's in north. He played for the Yankees, obviously. And so he's in north. Montclair is uh, where he uh, had his residence. I'm getting to know my Jersey towns. Little Falls is a new one. Montclair, though, I've heard of. DJ and PK. 
Hashtag RSL. Rail Salt Lake back in action. Third game in eight days hosting the Houston Dynamo. Rio Tinto Stadium tomorrow night. Dynamo one point in front of RSL. Sixth place in the West. RSL seventh. Game starts at 6 o'clock. Both teams playing three games in eight days, so that's even out of both. Both be a little worn down. I'm gassed just thinking about it. We will discuss that and a couple other issues with Trey Fitzgerald, host of the Bleeding Claret and Cobalt podcast, former RSL employee. He's going to join us coming up next. David Locke is going to be here at 8 o'clock. we got that on the way. Also have the question of the day as the Clippers continue to confound and befuddle everyone and win when it really matters. Get to all of that coming up. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Big Show show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. From The Athletic, he's our friend Sam Amick. Mike Conley's a free agent for the first time in his career. How big a factor would his health be in deciding whether or not you want to be in the Mike Conley business? You talk to your sports science people and and just gather all the evidence that you want regarding his own personal history with injury and trying to essentially predict if you invest X amount of money, what percentage of the time can you reasonably expect him to be on the floor? Good luck getting that right, but he's coming off a very good year. I truthfully don't know what the market's going to be elsewhere for money for Mike. Age is always going to come into play, but to me, a hamstring, you know, it's going to recover, and they're obviously a lot better with him. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes with Toast is brought to you by Jerry Signer Cadillac. Cadillac owners may have changed, but the luxury is not. Come see the bold new lineup of Cadillac at Jerry Signer Cadillac today. Question of the morning. There are questions in the universe that just can't be answered. But you can take a shot at it anyway. What is it with the Clippers? They get down 2-0 in a series. So many teams are beaten at that point. Or just put up a token effort. Win a game, losing five. Maybe win two and losing six. And the Clippers, they've come back twice. And watching that game last night, it was hard not to think they're going to do it a third time. Well, they can do it. There's no question about it. I would be shocked if they lose the series in five games. I feel like uh, I've been vindicated, but also I've been busted. Because? Because I said last year the Clippers were my team. Right. And I thought they were the best roster. And you're a year early. And now you're loving the Suns. I still think the Clippers have the best roster. Yeah. So. And the Suns, for family reasons, I'd like to see them win. I got hardcore family members. They're fans and all that stuff. They lived there a long time, 40 years. So Your sisters and your wife would go wild. We all all understand that. And we got friends. As I said, I I watched the game, game six up in Jackson Hole on Friday with uh, some Suns fans because the people we go up with every year, they're from the Phoenix area. And they were passionately rooting for the Jazz to give Chris Paul more time, you know. So it's fun to see... uh, then we talked to them the other night after the uh, put back at the the lob at the the buzzer, and they just went berserk. That's that's always fun, uh, but I still think the Clippers have the best roster. So I feel a year later what I was saying, and the rosters changed to a degree. I understand that. And then, but I just said ten minutes ago, sometimes you're just rearranging the chairs with the coaching. Well, they apparently didn't rearrange the chairs. They made a coaching change. So it's not like it doesn't matter. So I'm busting myself. Sometimes I 
I have a tendency to overlook, particularly at the pro rank. I'm speaking specifically pro rank, not college. It's an entirely separate issue. College yeah. matters a lot, and we yeah. all acknowledge that because they're right. the GM also. Right, and you gotta you gotta identify. I mean, Kyle Whittingham, what a master at identifying some dude down in Texas we never heard of, and then he ends up going to the NFL for ten years, you know, stuff like that, and he figured it out. The guy's just a genius at it. There's just zero question about that. And whether whatever you think of him doesn't matter. This guy can identify talent, and not talent at the time, talent three years from now. You know, he can see into the future. Project ahead. I, 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 all my stocks, I go to him. I say, Kyle, what do you think? You know, the guy's a genius in that. He he can uh, he's he he's made me some millions over the years. Let me no, tell he you, really hasn't. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> So, but thanks for thanks for that <laughs> random useless tangent. Well, if I don't do that, man, you're cutting off like sixty percent of my oxygen. <laughs> so, you got to acknowledge what Lou is doing here, big time. Uh, he's making a difference. I mean, the, the lineup, you never know what their starting lineup's going to be, nor do you necessarily know what the rotation's going to be. Beverly's in, he's out. Beverly, I guess, this year had started, he played in 42 playoff games coming into this year, I think, and started 41. And then earlier in the series, not this series, but the prior series, I think it was Dallas, he wasn't even playing. He sat out a couple of games with the DMPs. They've got the yeah. they got the three point guards, and they have to pick a guy to sit. And it's been him sometimes. It's been Rondo quite a bit. I think Reggie's playing pretty consistently. I think Reggie Jackson's getting minutes. Okay, and Reggie was a buyout a year ago. Yeah, <laughs> and now he's he's like looking like an all star. He's a free agent this year. Hey, Dennis, Jay Z, go get him. The guy's got stones, man. He's up for the big moments. And it, it's not like I've been following Reggie Jackson uh, since the other Reggie Jackson. But, but I got to believe been. he's playing. I mean, I'm aware of him. Yeah. I got to believe this is the best he's playing. And I think you got to give a coach. Because coaches tend to get hit for uh, when things go wrong, whether it's their fault or not. So I think you got to give him credit here. So hats well, I off think to Lou. So do you think Ty Lue is more effective? And people reference this. Uh, Cindy says maybe they've learned how to dig deep when it really matters. Which I guess you can go negative on the flip side of that is, well, they're just kind of coasting until it really matters. Yeah, I don't know that they're but I, coasting. I, think, I agree, and I think there is something to the, and you love this side of the game, the psychological part of the game, and you love to say, so what? You lost two homies, lost two road games. It's first one to four, nothing else matters. Except when you look at 95% of the series, or 98 or 99% of them, it does matter. You but look at that. Are, I don't look at that. I know I look you at don't. This I just series. I know. But I think there's something when you've been down 0-2 this many times and you fight oh, back this many sure. times. Oh, for sure. At this point, yes. Ty Lue, for, forget the X's and O's for a second. We'll get to that. But there is something about Ty Lue in a huddle or in a locker room saying, we can do this. Let's do, and then he gets to the tactics, X, Y, Z. But there's something about him saying, we can do this. And there's something about Doc Rivers, and I don't completely get it, but there's too much evidence to ignore, that when he says we can do this, there's some doubt that the team, because he's done it with multiple rosters, multiple teams where they've been up 3-2 and they've blown it. They've had Game 7 at home. His voice is too scratchy. Is that what it is? Yeah. But there's something about Ty Lue that guys are drawing confidence and strength from, and there's something about Doc Rivers, and there's doubt. Well, there is don't clearly limit doubt. it to X and O because I don't think coaching is exclusively. No, that I don't. At all. I I, I seem to so, set the X's and O's but, apart, and they're important. But in this case, the psychology of which it, which I think is is critical part of the deal. How do you get Zubach, who you, I may play six minutes, 
Mm-hmm. I may pay you 36 minutes. But that's, your job isn't to worry about how many minutes you get. Your job is to be ready when to play. When you're called on, even if you haven't been called on in a couple games, when you're yeah. called on, come in and deliver. And he responds with 15 points, 16 friggin' boards, six offensive boards, man. The guy's playing his butt off. As Joe Ingles just said about that Australian dude. Only he uses the A word, but he's got more, you know, leverage than I do. True story. Don says, rope a dope. They study you for two games, help you drink your own Kool-Aid, make needed adjustments, and take over. I don't think they do that because, I mean, I think they would prefer to win, and they had that game. They blew it. They blew game two right down to the end. No and that is brought up, Eric says, the Suns are pretty lucky that it's 2-1 to one right now and not 1-2. to two. She don't really refer to a series that way, but we get his point. Uh, yeah, yeah. So... Because you're right, game two could have easily been flipped. But is that really, so you look at the three-game arc, like the Clippers were overmatched in the first game, figured some stuff out, oh, pretty Booker evenly matched in the off. second. Yeah, Booker went off. It's pretty, pretty evenly matched in the second game, but didn't pull it out. And then in game three, that wasn't close. That was over. That big run in the third quarter buried the Suns. 25 to 8, I think it was. No, they got back within eight, though. They did get within eight. And then quickly, yeah. it went back to double digits. That's right. And they, they're shooting three-pointers, and the, the two guys weren't hitting. And then, look, he puts Terrence Mann in the starting lineup, right? Mann mm-hmm. hit all the three-pointers, the corner threes, right? We got nightmares with him hitting corner threes. Well, he plays 32 minutes, he goes six of eight. But he only goes zero for one from three. So he's not getting those shots. But yet he still finds ways. Don't force it over here if it's not there. If you got something here, take it. And he took it. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to check in with Trey Fitzgerald. He is on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property. Concerned about water consumption and they're managing irrigation. Well, if you are in that situation, you need more info, Find out more at smartrain.net. And Trey Fitzgerald, host of the Bleeding Claret and Cobalt podcast, former RSL employee, joins us. And before we get to RSL and the soccer, as we sit here and discuss the NBA, do you wince, Trey? Because you are a huge Nuggets fan growing up in New Mexico. You saw their games as a kid. You lived in Denver. Are you wincing? Is the Nugget fan base like the Jazz fan base? Man, if we'd been healthy. In the Nuggets case, if Jamal Murray hadn't gotten hurt. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, the... The progress they made to go 17-7 and seven without Jamal into the second round of the playoffs, that's the logical, reasoned view. Most people don't have that, as you know. Um, currently, everybody's debating, you know, do you give $100 million to three players if you, if you give uh, Michael Porter Jr. The, the rookie extension? And what do you do with Aaron Gordon in another year? And... Uh, you know, will Jamal be back by All-Star game? You know, will he be 100%? All those kinds of things. So there's definitely angst amongst uh, all NBA fan bases right now. And looking at uh, an opportunity that uh, of what could have been and what might be missed, because if the Warriors and the Lakers get back to where everybody expects them to be, the uh, the markets like Utah, Denver, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Atlanta may not have uh, the chances that they obviously have this year. Yeah, that's an interesting concept, though, these other markets, because these teams that you just mentioned are all really good teams. And on any given, 
they can be better than anybody. You know, they're right, they're right there. There's a bunch of teams that you look at, and a healthy Denver, I think you've got to put them in that mix. And obviously a healthy Utah, you've got to put them in that mix. But how they manage their money, basically, and what I mean by that, their money on what they decide to pay or who they decide to pay and how much becomes so critical. To me, I think it's great for the league, but at the same time, I find it fascinating. You know, you just said, what's Denver going to do? Utah has some decisions. And so you put that all in there, and don't you find it just interesting and actually better for the league, intriguing, when you've got all these small or middle-type markets that have really good teams and have tried to do the right thing? Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right, PK. I love it because these are all teams that have exciting stars, burgeoning superstars. Um, most of them, if not all of them, have what you would call a core uh, that should have a window of, what, four or five years barring injury. Uh, but you do have that kind of luxury tax guillotine hanging over everybody's head and, you know, I like watching the Warriors because I think Clay and Steph and Draymond are special, and I love Steve Kerr. But it, when Clay goes down and they kind of make the emergency move to trade for Kelly Oubre, and yeah, they're only paying Kelly Oubre, I don't know, $14 million, but the luxury tax implications essentially meant that his one contract cost them $80 million in a year that they could, couldn't even invite fans into their – billion dollar arena so those i mean that's an extreme example i think it's probably a little more than what ryan smith is looking for if if they sign conley or go out and find somebody else and and that pushes them into the what the tax mle which is another five million on top 5.6 or whatever so uh this is fascinating and you know this is what the nba has become right though is the off-season hot stove to use a, a baseball term from our days when we were all kids, I guess, um, you know, is, is part of what drives the NBA culture on social media. And, um, look, if the NBA is going to become a little more like the NFL, where more fan bases have hope at the beginning of every season and are excited at moves in the off season, that's a good thing. I know Max Kellerman and all these national pundits are lamenting what the TV ratings would be if, uh, you know, if you have a Milwaukee Phoenix finals or an Atlanta, uh, Denver, Utah, whatever finals, but I think it, it opens it up and those kind of antiquated, um, metrics of TV markets and ratings as, as we all kind of go into digital and streaming and social and the world becomes smaller and some of these other cliches, I, I, I'm not as worried about that. It doesn't have to be uh, New York, L.A., right. you know, Miami, San Francisco all the time. Well, that's an interesting segue to the world of Major League Soccer, where <laughs> a former NFL guy is the commissioner. And it's a little different because the Seattle and Atlantas are certainly a big deal. But it does team, seem like there's tiers of soccer and RSL losing a Seattle team that has – more money and more depth, and there's a salary cap. But like the NBA, it's soft, so there are ways around it, and Seattle seems to have figured it out. Yeah, look, uh, Seattle is run by our, our good old friend, um, Garth Lagerway, who I think should be the next commissioner of Major League Soccer um, because he's that smart, he's that good of a leader in terms of making everyone 
from the very, very top to the, to the game day volunteers and everyone in between feel important. He was the glue, I think, of, of Real Salt Lake for many, many years. And yes, Jason Christ got a lot of the headlines, but, um, you know, Garth built a culture and built a roster along with many, many others. But now Garth's in Seattle. He's got an ownership group that has deep pockets that is willing to spend, um, top dollar on marquee players, but as you mentioned, DJ, uh, depth. So Seattle rolls out a semi-B-team lineup on on Wednesday night, and, you know, I think RSL, well, I'm sure we'll get into this, probably feels a little unlucky not to have gotten at least a point out of that road uh, performance, but Seattle is clearly the better team, and, you know, what they can do when they put players 14 through 20 out there um, compared to what probably all but maybe three or four MLS teams can do that only go, we'll talk about this for Houston, Houston's only 11 deep, um, and they've had a decent start, but you know, if injuries and national team call-ups and red card suspensions, when all those things start folding in, you've got a compact uh, COVID-affected uh, season where teams are going to be playing three games in eight days for almost the rest of the year, um, you know, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, uh, that's where that depth shines. And Seattle has the tools to endure. I think RSL, with some of these new additions that were announced right before the close of the transfer window with Bobby Wood, uh, Tony Dakovich at center back, and Johnny Menendez on the wing, I think um, – the, the front office for RSL has given Freddie Juarez some options coming off the bench and to rotate uh, that they did not have earlier uh, in the season when I think if you look at the Minnesota game, you look at the San Jose game, even if you look at the game the other night, you see a lot of dropped points and kind of missed opportunities. And it's, I think, early enough in the season that you don't have to have heartburn over those missed opportunities, but you better learn your lessons and you better not uh, repeat those mistakes uh, when you get into kind of the dog days here of the summer and then the, uh, the run out uh, late in the season when literally every point uh, can flip you from outside the playoffs to comfortably uh, with a home field advantage. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, Trey. I mean, you put the two teams at the top, Seattle and KC, but then everybody else, man, That well, not everybody, a couple of teams at the bottom, but there's so many teams in the middle, so to speak, that uh, when we get away from this for several weeks from now, this thing could look dramatically different. Yeah, because, I mean, RSL has the advantage, still has two games in hand over, I think, most of the West. So if you look at a points-per-game average, uh, which is what you have to do in soccer instead of a winning percentage because – you could have, uh, you know, you have a third option on a result with a tie. But anyway, points per game, they're fourth in the West. Uh, overall on, on uh, gross points, they're, um, I think, seventh in the West and just hanging on barely to that, that last playoff spot. There's a lot of soccer uh, left to be played. I think um, what's going to be critical over the course of the next, uh, I don't know, 30 days as you kind of get to – actually, it's, a, it's less than that. It's probably about 23 days – before you get to a little mini uh, international break in late July, is integrating uh, some of these new faces. And, uh, you know, when you have three guys competing for two spots every day in training, whether that be at outside back, center back, D-mid, striker, winger, whatever, 
uh, as you guys know, it doesn't matter what sport you're talking about. If you've got that daily competition for who's going to be penciled in the starting lineup, it sharpens, um, you know, they say, this is the cliche, iron sharpens iron. So um, then you've got, because of the schedule rotation needs, um, you you can keep a guy engaged if he's upset he's not starting on Wednesday, uh, but maybe he comes off the bench, he gets 10, 20 minutes, um, more than likely that odd guy out from that three guys for two spot competition is going to start uh, 72 hours later just because the games are coming fast and furious. So um, I think Freddie has a little more to cook with now, and we're really going to get a sense uh, this summer of how good or lacking uh, this roster is and this team is. But I, uh, I am optimistic right now because when you bring in U.S. international talent like Bobby Wood, uh, you bring in uh, another Croatian uh, to go along with uh, Demir Krylock and Boyan in our Utah uh, fa- sports fabric here in Tony Dakovich at center back. Um, you know, these are world-class talents. Rubio Rubin is a former U.S. national team guy, and Johnny Menendez is a uh, Argentine winger who's in his prime. And if you look at the history of Argentinian players that have come through MLS, including RSL, like Javier Morales is probably the best player in the history of this club. So um, that's the pedigree and that's the uh, comparables that these guys face. And uh, so I think RSL fans have a lot of reason to be optimistic that they can get back to uh, defending Rio Tinto as a fortress, getting three points, Every time out, the crowds have been really good despite the COVID restrictions, uh, you know, so far this year. And uh, Saturday night against Houston, it's it's open to, to full capacity, and they're not going head-to-head with the Jazz like they were uh, last Friday. So uh, the, the place will be uh, almost full, I imagine. So you mentioned bringing in these new guys, and I'm curious because, you know, we got a lot of listeners who follow basketball. we got some who follow baseball. And they bring international players, and they don't seem to get hung up with the visas, and it seems to happen all the time in soccer. And RSL, you can't complain too much because you benefit when it happens to other teams. But it's happening to RSL right now, and everybody's waiting for a new goal scorer. Everybody knows they need a third center back in there uh, to compete and all that stuff. Why why the hang-ups with the deal is done, but you're waiting on the visa paperwork? I wasn't expecting a political conversation here this morning, DJ, but, um, you know, the, the visa, the State Department, all the immigration challenges that we read about every day do affect the world of sports. And um, previous administrations, uh, it was simple. Uh, the last four years, it got more complicated. COVID uh, added further complications on both sides of the process. And, uh, and now there's a massive uh, backlog in every consulate and every embassy around the world. And look, I've been around this sport and the international nature of sports long enough to know that uh, in certain countries, corruption plays a role in all this. And everybody's got their hand out. Everybody's trying to get the wheels greased to, to, to put something at the top of the pile, if you will. And I'm not saying that's what's happening here. I'm just saying these are possible uh, scenarios for delays and complications. Um, in my conversations with everybody at RSL, they expect uh, Menendez and Dakovich to be here uh, any day. But, yes, they are frustrated because 
when you get those contracts done by May 30th, which I believe was the deadline for the window, I think they fully expected by the end of the international break, uh, those guys would have had their visa appointments in their home countries. And that's a formality. That's where you generally just get, as long as you don't have a criminal record, you get your your uh, passport stamped and your your uh, work visa approved to come earn a living in the United States. But um, it is definitely not as uh, expedited and smooth a process as it was uh, five years ago and uh, even pre-COVID. How about the ownership, man? It's been six months since all this uh, stuff went down. Where do you see this going? When's it going to get wrapped up? Yeah, um, what I'm what I'm hearing is that there are uh, close to a dozen uh, parties still kind of kicking the tires on uh, on Real Salt Lake. Major League Soccer's league office, the commissioner's office, uh, is managing the sale. Uh, coming into the 2021 season, there were three teams, including RSL, that were uh, available: the Orlando City Group and the Houston team that we'll see when. Uh, sorry. Saturday night, tomorrow night, uh, those were the other two teams for sale. So Orlando uh, was sold for $450 million. Uh, that includes their training facility. That includes their stadium. So a very similarly structured deal as I think what we have here uh, in Salt Lake. Houston sold for $400 million. It did not include the stadium because that is a civic property. Um, and you know, the, there's a tons. There are a ton of intangibles uh, when looking at each market. And I would make the argument. Obviously, I'm biased because I love Salt Lake. It's been home here for 17 years. Um, I think we have the infrastructure. When you go out to Harriman and see the training facility that the RSL and the Monarchs and the Academy have, people compare that to um, Manchester City's facility over in England and. Um, they, you know, it's truly world-class, um, you know, Rio Tinto is 13 years old now, which is in- incredible, uh, to believe, but, um, it, it is still in great shape it, it needs some upgrades. I know Deloitte had planned on, um, on adding some sweets and some other, uh, kind of food areas and premium stuff, but, you know, whoever the new owner is, we'll see if they decide to dust off those plans. So, um, uh, the commissioner and all his public comments, he says that he expects the transaction to be finalized by the end of the year. Um, I think, you know, what we're looking for here uh, is, is there a local owner uh, that would take over RSL? Um, you guys would know probably better than me, but if, if you made a list of local uh, families or entities that have that money, it's a pretty short list, right? Um, Huntsman, to... James. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what, you know, the Houston group was bought by a New York real estate guy. I think the Orlando group was bought by the Will family that owns the Minnesota Vikings. So they had to divest themselves of their minority ownership of the Nashville soccer team, which just uh, started last year. So, you know... Even nationwide, it's a it's a small circle, and I mean when you think about uh, Dave Checkett's creating this club out of thin air for a seven million dollar franchise fee back in two thousand four, and then uh, the most recent expansion fee was three hundred twenty five million by David Tepper, who owns the Carolina Panthers, 
uh, last year. You can see just from those metrics alone the growth of of soccer. I think what everybody's banging on, banking on is that you have a new TV rights deal that is about to go into play here for Major League Soccer in 2022. So they're negotiating with all the networks. Uh, we saw what that did for NBA salary caps a few years ago. So that's an expectation that would uh, increase uh, franchise rights value. And then, of course, you have the majority of the 2026 World Cup being held here in the United States. So, um, you know, we've got a handful of games in Canada and Mexico, but I think 60 of the 80 games in that tournament will be played here on U.S. soil. So soccer's profile is only going to continue to grow. And, uh, you know, for a league that was basically um, conceived because of the 1994 uh, World Cup being held in the U.S., to have a 2026 World Cup as kind of a, a crowning achievement for the sport in this country and uh, to have a, a league that's full of 30-plus teams by then uh, with each franchise valued in the four to $500 million uh, dollar range. An interesting report just came out last week. Mark Ingram, the NFL running back, uh, became a minority owner of the team in Washington, D.C. I don't remember how much he put in. I think it was you know, only $15 million or something like that. But the valuation for that club uh, was $710 million, which um, I was shocked at that number. Yes, they have a new stadium. Yes, Washington, D.C. is a big East Coast market and all that stuff, but um, you know, that club does not have the infrastructure resources or local relevance that Real Salt Lake has here. And I get that there are market disparities. And I know you guys discussed this ad nauseum in NBA, um, uh, <clears throat> circumstances, but, uh, you know, a lot of those same dynamics are at play for, um, for Salt Lake, you know, for RSL, you know, how do you attract free agents? How do you maximize sponsorships? How do you, do all the things that create revenue streams that allow you to put the best product uh, on the field. And, and, and that's, that's what's happening. So I think with all that as a background, the job that uh, Elliot Fall and Rob Zarcos and Tony Beltran have done to stabilize the ship so that the on-field product is um, outside the eye of the hurricane from everything that's swirling, I guess, off the field with ownership and fans and, and some of that other stuff. And uh, that's to be commended. Again, the, the, the report card's incomplete because we're, you know, eight games into a 34-game season. But uh, there's reason to be hopeful and optimistic. So you tweeted at me a couple days ago a picture of a uh, Padre fan flipping off a Dodger fan at a game. And the Dodger fan is tipped away but it seems like they were smiling. You can just see a portion of their face and profile, just a little bit. So I imagine the Padre, and I'm just making this up, I have no idea. The Padre fan says something, and the Dodger fan is like, yeah, nice with the sweep, but we still got the World Series, and uh, we're going to take another one in the fall when we're healthy. And so the, the Padre fan just loses and flips them off. And you're like, well, this is this DJ circa 1993 at, you know, Qualcomm. And I told you, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, that's how Padre fans feel about Dodger fans. So if you took that picture at RSL, that opposing fan, it was taken in San Diego because the Dodgers were there for a series. What 
what opposing team jersey would most likely be in that photo with an RSL fan flipping them off? I think it's Kansas City, no question. The the rivalry with RSL and Colorado is contrived. Um, RSL's won 11 of the last 14 Rocky Mountain Cups with the Rapids, so I don't think that's a real rivalry. It's been too one-sided. But there is still bad blood and venom between uh, the RSL fan base in Kansas City because of MLS Cup 2013, because of the ticketing snafu, because of the battles between Kyle Beckerman, the RSL captain, and Benny Filehaber from uh, Kansas City. Um, so I think, you know, the blood is maybe dissipated. The venom is dissipated a little bit, but that's still, uh, by and far RSL's number one rival. There are, there are friendly rivalries with, with Portland and Seattle. And, you know, obviously RSL fans, Utah fans love to beat the LA teams, but, uh, LAFC hasn't been around long enough. The galaxy have kind of fallen on some hard times of late. So, uh, the venom and vitriol is all reserved for Kansas City. Trey, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for hopping on with us, and we will uh, check within, check in with you down the line. Yeah, it's great to hear your guys' voices, even yours, PK, so I appreciate the time this morning. Thank you. <laughs> you two have to get together and golf. You two have a yeah, good time out there. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, you two can crush it. All right, thanks, Trey. Thanks, Do- guys. See you soon. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up, David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. How are the Clippers doing it? Again, down 0-2, winning game three. Looking awesome. Is it possible to lead a series 1-2, PK? Does it feel no. like it's tied up 1-2? to two? No. I suppose it is, but it doesn't feel like that to me. Yeah. We'll get to all that with David Locke in a minute. Stay with us. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Summer LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-2080. That's Davis Vision. So I got a little funny story since we got a little short time here before we got to go to break. So my wife goes to uh, what you would call a little bachelorette party last night. But it's a second marriage, so it's very tame. So she's so she's telling me, and and for me, if you can tell me you're going to do something, you got something on plan, you better tell me no less than ten times because <laughs> you're going to forget. Yeah, right. <laughs> telling me last week that you're going to go out Thursday night this is meaningless. So you can tell me. But, but you you're not going to retain this information. <laughs> yes, gonna have to it's going in the other ear. It's going out the other one. You're going to have to repeatedly tell right. me. Right. So about, uh, I'd say about 1 o'clock, as a reminder, I'm going to this uh, thing last tonight for the gals getting married. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, that's the one I'm performing right at, right? And she just says, yeah. And I said, yeah, I went out and bought some uh, several new tube socks. <laughs> And I thought, okay, that's a little funny line. And we're in the car, 
and we drive about another half mile, and all of a sudden, <laughs> <laughs> it took her that long to get it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she had something on her mind. She was clearly considering something else, and then put that off to the side in her brain, and pulled it back in and processed it. It's not that complicated a joke that it took that long, right? And I thought I was she just, just about ready to say nothing. I thought that was a decent line. I mean, it wasn't a gut buster, but it was decent. But yeah, there was a little delayed reaction there. I don't know, the seven, eight second delay that we have in radio, only it was longer than that. And then finally she let out a chuckle. I thought, okay, good. I mean, I, I mean, if I say something that I think is fairly humorous, I mean, I expect some type of reaction. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, offseason moves to the Jazz, signing Mike Conley. Is Mike Conley going to get other offers? Where are the Jazz going with this? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are joined by David Locke. His weekly appearance brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Oh, it's my friend David James. I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. How's my friend Patrick Kinahan? He's trying to get through today till 10 o'clock and see what happens after that. The, did you get did you get rained on yesterday, or did you decide to pass on your golf addiction for a day? Uh, it didn't rain as hard as we thought, so no, I did not pass. <laughs> oh, good. good day ends in line. I know where Patrick is, and at what time? I know. I don't need that. Okay, let's move on. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> Ten o'clock, Sports <laughs> Illustrated. Okay. The phone now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, makes it a hundred times worse, by the way. I want to point that out. The Clippers, moving right along. The Clippers, down 0-2, win game three. This script has now been followed precisely in three consecutive series. Do you believe the Clippers are ultimately going to win this series? You know, I think Phoenix is pretty solid, and it's hard to believe that Phoenix would lose four out of five, and I thought the exact same thing about the Jazz. So, um, And I probably thought, thought the exact same thing out of Luka. Um, I, I do think, and I've thought this the whole year, you know I've said this multiple times in the show, the Clippers are the best team, were the best team in the West. I thought so all year. The data um, really showed it. That if you, you know, got into the minutes played with players that um, – that we're going to play in the playoffs. They were the best team in the league. So it's, you know, do I think they're better than Phoenix? Four out of maybe. I mean, there were some numbers in the game yesterday that were Phoenix only took 12 shots at the rim for the entire game. Like, that's not great. Um, Phoenix's uh, shot quality is crazy low, like almost so low. I'm not sure they can survive in this series. Um, their offensive rating matched that last night. I think they were under a point of possession. Um, and it, you know, the, they didn't make shots. They they were below their shot quality, but the shot quality they got last night was particularly low for um, a playoff game. I, I I do think they're going to have a hard time scoring, and so we saw the Clippers kind of do the exact same thing that they did to the Jazz, if I'm correct on that, was kind of spread the floor and just drive it. Um, and so we'll see how they deal with that. Did the Clippers show us anything in terms of Jazz weakness that they really need to address, or what did they show? So, I think the Clippers exposed both of our weaknesses. And then I think the next question is whether or not you can actually be a team without weaknesses. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. 
And as I've digested what happened to the Jazz in that series more and more and kind of looked at the league and a bigger picture, I'm actually siding a little bit on that this is just a game of trying to get through the playoffs without facing the team that can actually get you. So, like, had we played Denver, even with Murray, I do think if Denver had Murray, they might have won it. But they would have exposed or caused us problems in a different way with Jamal, the fact that Jokic pops and Rudy has to go with him. It does this, it's the same phenomenon. Um, they, you know, the Clippers did it. Our weaknesses, and we've known it all year, if Rudy's not on the floor defensively, we're a terrible defensive team. Okay, that's fine because we're a brilliant offensive team. That's, that was the switch that was made in a bunch of moves over the last two years. And Rudy proved we they proved that if you have Rudy and a great and a bunch of not particularly good off defensive players and you play a system that you can be the number one defense in the NBA. And the problem is the minute someone eliminates either Rudy or the system and the Clippers were able to do it, right? They spread the floor, they went five wide and they just drove it. And so there it is. There's the weakness. Um, but Phoenix wouldn't have been able to do that unless they were willing to take DeAndre Ayton off the floor. And, you know, Frankly, Denver can't really do the same thing. Um, they could do it differently, but they can't really do it. You'd actually have you'd have Rudy guard Aaron Gordon, and have somebody guard Jokic, and then you're playing tight on everything and switching on all. Oh, that if Jokic gets in the paint, then you bump Rudy over. Like it's not the same thing. So the Clippers were the team that could do that to the Jazz. Um, and so yeah, that's the weakness that was exposed. And now, how dramatically do you go deal with that? I'm. I'm actually getting less less dramatic every day on how, you know, be nice to have more guys who can guard the ball, but I don't want less guys that can shoot. So to the point that uh, you, they're not good defensively, but offensively they're brilliant. If Donovan been, had been healthy, I mean, he was brilliant at, on, on one leg at 39 points, nine rebounds, nine assists. If he had been healthy, PK and I have gone round and around about this. If he had been healthy, would he have gone for 50 and covered up all the defensive issues because there would have been buckets that stopped the run? It would have been a little better for the defense. The Clippers wouldn't have been running off a long missed three. They would have been taking the ball out of the net, all that stuff. Would that have mattered if Donovan had been a little better because he'd been a little healthier? Recognizing he was already awesome, so you're you know, cranking awesome all the way up to 11 because 10 isn't loud enough. Cameron Payne had 29 the other night, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Donovan could have had 50. <laughs> um, no, I think it's a great point. Had we been a little healthier offensively so that what they were doing to us defensively didn't cause us the same amount of problems, um, then, you know, then maybe – you're ta- you know you're taking the ball out of the basket more and, and impacting their half court offense was pretty good against us though I hate the like I think that was the yeah, it was the the bummer to me of the series was we were the number one half court defense in the NBA for the year and um and you know they they got us in half court I mean they really got us like of of our games all year game three was our worst defensive night of the year game four was our third worst defensive night of the year game five was Going into game game five was our seventh worst defensive night of the year, and quite honestly, I haven't checked, but I'm going to guess that you know I actually should redo that. I haven't. I just realized I hadn't done the last game of the year, so I'm pretty certain game six was our worst defensive game of the year. Game three was our second worst. I mean, they really they really blew us up defensively. They we did not have any se- sequence of an answer to them at all 
Um, and so is there something you can do with roster versatility? But <clears throat> all those things with like roster versatility and things of that nature, you know, you better make sure you don't end up in the middle of the road. That's, that's the only thing I'll say. Like if you look at, you know, the teams that got knocked out a little earlier than everybody expected this year um, and, and those kind of things, you know, they pretty universally are teams that either were really bad in one category. Brooklyn was not very good, you know, defensively, and Philadelphia had some issues, and the Lakers were terrible offensively. I know they were injured, but they still had major flaws. So if you go look, all those teams were had, you know, were not good at something, really not good at something. We 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 better be careful that we suddenly don't take away, you know, address a issue. You're you're you are playing a little bit of whack a mole here. You're just not going to be able to address all issues. With new ownership, how aggressive do you think they'll be in addressing whatever issues they decide to address? I mean, I thought they were pretty aggressive with old ownership. I don't think there's ever been a, a lack of aggressiveness out of... Oh, I'm not saying that, but I, it's yeah. new. I don't know. Oh, I mean, I, my concern would not be... So I don't have a concern. Let me rephrase that. But, like, if we're asking it in, like, do you have a concern? So my answer is no. Um Ryan's pretty bright and I think we'll, you know, we'll do, we'll allow the basketball people to do what the basketball people do and we'll, we'll be heavily involved, but we'll, um, but I like young owners are often overly aggressive, not underly aggressive and then have a long-term ramification, but I'm not sure we can be overly aggressive right now. Frankly, you know, what do we have a two, two year window here before Donovan now has all the keys to the kingdom to decide what he wants to do. Well, in a way, he already kind of has him <laughs> because well, we know key, it, once you know that someone's in the kingdom right now, but he doesn't have the he doesn't have the the exit sign. Right, right. Yeah, in two freedom. years, he adds the key to get out. Yeah, yeah. But we all know he's going to have that. I don't think anyone really doubts how good he's going to be in two years. Right. So everything, all decisions are being made, knowing that that moment is coming. Because it's very so, clear it's coming. <laughs> so I don't think I don't think there's much of a chance we'll be under underly aggressive. I mean, it's this is you know maybe esoteric and boring, um, but I mean, so first thing you do is you question everything, right? That's what you're supposed to do as an organization. So why did this happen? What's our strengths? You do all the questions. You can come to a conclusion that we need to do X. But if you can't do it because either it's not available, luxury, uh, salary cap, trade partners, whatever other reason, it doesn't matter that you came up with the answer that this is what we have to do. It has to be something that you actually can execute as a front office in the landscape of a league that actually is not built to just help you. Right? As a company, this is where sports are so different. If if Ryan or is built with Qualtrics and Ballmer, Microsoft and Joe side, any of his companies are building their company. And they're like, wow, we really have a marketing product. We did a survey and our marketing product, ironically enough with Qualtrics, uh, you're, you're doing a survey and we have these, products. you can now institute a program inside your company to address that issue. You can hire personnel. You can do like, there's nothing restricting you as a company from building this correctly in the NBA. There's 28 teams restricting you from doing what you want to do to fix your team. They have no interest in you executing that plan. 
So the thing the Jazz do control is what do they do with their free agents with uh, Conley and Niang? Where where do you think that is going, and where do you think those should go? And those may not be the same thing, obviously. They might be. I mean, I think the likelihood is every, you know, Mike's a wonderful teammate. Everyone loves having him around. He's a great player. He was maybe the best player in the Memphis series. He um, was incredibly important to the franchise. We saw how important it was to not have him. So I think in all of those sense, you know, in all of those ways, I would expect if Mike wants to come back, the Jazz will try to see if they can bring Mike back. That gets hard on a luxury tax. But again, I I don't have a feeling that that's, an, you know, it's got to be a big issue because it's a huge luxury tax and let's not be crazy. But I don't have a feeling that that's prohibitive, like ending the conversation before it starts. I do think it's worth, like, understanding from a fan base standpoint, that if you do think, if you're one of those who thinks the roster has to get shook up because they lost to the Clippers, so the we don't can't trade our draft pick till after we take it. We don't have free agent space. We don't have the mid-level exception because we're a tax team, so the mid-level we have is actually lower, which makes it really hard to sign any type of quality free agent. So your moves are your trade to, to alter your franchise is you're trading in alphabetical order in no particular interest of this, but you're, you are trading either Boyan, um, Jordan, um, uh, favors Ingalls or O'Neal in alphabetical order. If you run around the NBA and find out that for any of those five, you are not getting what you would want or what would change the roster, your final piece to do that is a sign and trade with Mike Conley. And that one you don't control very well because he chooses the team and you then have to see if there's anyone on the roster. And the only way you have any leverage is if that team has no space. And so he wants to go play for the Lakers and about their point guard situation and, um, they have, they lose some leverage. The only way they can get them is on a sign and trade with you, and you decide you want Kyle Kuzma. I have no idea. I just made that up. But like, that's the final piece of how we can change our roster. If you've run around the league and not got any traction or anything that you like on your first five possibilities, then the only other way you do it is in a sign and trade with Mike Conley. So I just, while I think all signs point to Mike returning. That does need to be understood that if you also are one who thinks the roster needs to change, that's one of the ways in which you can do it. And if you've done your homework, which this group always does, then that's you might end up with that decision. Do they have anything that they can develop beyond what they've already developed out of the Slulos guys on the bench? Um... You know, Jarrell shot 40% from three. Mia's second half was not great, um, but he's shown some signs. Um, Jawan Morgan seems to have a knack to be in the right place at the right time and have some, you know. Um, Azabuke has unbelievable, natural, physical, powerful skills. Um, you know, he would be he would be in a worse shape than Rudy was if a team plays five out. Um, I do think we have to have a five-out answer. My my expectation is that this league is two or three years away from everyone having five players you can shoot, unless, you know, I think you'll have outliers like a Rudy Gobert, who if you're completely awesome at everything else you do, you can get away without shooting. But 
you know, Zubak down to 14 minutes in every playoff game. Or I think he played 34 last night and was really impactful because they have Aiton. Um, but in a lot of cases, you're seeing circumstances where, you know, a five that's not overwhelmingly great at everything else they do is going to have a hard time making the floor. So, um, yeah, I don't, you know, those are, those are the choices, right? They've done a great job of finding someone out of Europe. Um, and, you know, this was a funky COVID year in that regard. So can they find the next European player um, or American player that's been in Europe for two years and find them there? Um, and then I'm a, you know, one thing we have not gone into in the past. Um, if you want athletes, this is something you can do. It doesn't it's not always work, but there's kind of a phrase in the league called the second draft. And so most players don't get drafted to a place where they have a very good fit and it doesn't work out for most players. And so can you go find the guy who was the 15th pick of the draft two years ago whose team can't figure out how to use him, and you can find a way to use him? Cam Reddish, um, you know, types. They, they often are elite-level athletes who can't shoot. And um, that's usually the book on them. And then the question is whether we can develop one of them into a shooter. David Locke joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Um is it? Uh, do you think it's possible for the Jazz going forward to hit on the buyout market? Because it looks like the buyout market has really worked for the Clippers, right? Landon, Reg- Landon Reggie Jack- Jackson and Nicholas Batum, those are, those are huge wins for them. And I don't know if they'd won the series without those guys. I kind of think they wouldn't have. Do you think the Jazz get more active in that? And I mean, I know they brought in Ilya Sova. It's kind of that kind of deal. But the you talk about the second draft. But what about the veteran guy who's thirty one, thirty two, and has a skill or two, or was cast as a star somewhere, couldn't carry the team, but is really good as the third or fourth option? So I mean, it sounds as though we made a run at Nicholas Batum, right? That yeah. that Rudy got on the line and tried to talk Nicholas Batum into going, and he'd rather go to L.A. Um, can't blame him. That turned out to be a pretty good situation. He's probably their most valuable regular season player. Reggie Jackson's been an incredible find for them. You know, what that one is is exactly what you're talking about there, David. That's the player who at Oklahoma City was disgruntled. And, I mean, gosh, do you remember his exit out of Oklahoma City? You've very rarely seen, like, other players on the roster be like, let the door hit you on the, you know, on the backside, right? Like, they, they were torching him on the way out. Players were. It was crazy. But he was so insistent that he wanted to be the man. Then he went to Detroit became the man and it wasn't that great. Like he averaged 19.6 points a game, but they didn't win a lot. Um, and so his ability then to roll into this kind of complimentary, Hey, I'm a elite level spot up shooter player. If the Clippers knew he could do that, that's a great job on their part. Um, that's not the most common script that they could do it. Like Nicholas Batum went just back to being the Portland Batum. They'd already shown he could be. Um, and certainly was important. The, the other one that's interesting here a little bit, David, that the Jazz have not done, um, and I, I've always thought that, you know, I, I've understood why 100%. This makes, it makes a great deal of sense. What the Jazz have not done, and it's, it's a really easy way to destroy your locker room, is have veterans on the end of your bench who think they should play. Uh, the Jazz have done that. You just have to go back a long time. Right, but th- this iteration of the Jazz No, this iteration, so, no. I'm going way back. Right. I mean, what Houston, what Phoenix has done, and and, and I will um, let me say something before I get into this too deeply. I really believed in this COVID year that ten, eleven, twelve, and thirteen on your roster was going to be this crazily important thing. I couldn't have been more wrong. 
Like one through eight still dictates everything. The Jazz pay more money for six, seven, and eight on their roster than I think any other team in the NBA. And I think that's the right way to do this. So let's make sure we're clear on that because one through eight is what dictates whether you win or lose. Both the Clippers and the Suns have done something interesting, which we, you know, look at and decide whether you, they've taken players like Langston Galloway, Reggie Jackson, Etwan Moore, Frank Kaminsky. Um, I don't even know who else is on the edge of the Clippers bench. Luke Kennard at times when he didn't play and taken, who's actually young, he's 24, and taken players who've played in the league that are veterans and put them on the end of their bench. Now, that's a hard thing to do because if, in, if they're not playing Rajon Rondo, um, they can be really disruptive. And supposedly Rondo was very disruptive in our series uh, after game two. They can be really disruptive, and you have to be really careful. And that's credit to Monty Williams and Tyron Lue and the Clippers for somehow getting players and the Suns who, who didn't get disruptive. But that's a, also the other way you do that is, if you're, is you take those veterans who didn't work out, like you're saying, you have them on the end of the bench, and if they get an opportunity, maybe they can show something you didn't know before. Reggie Jackson, DNP, plenty of games, I think, after he came from Detroit to L.A. Um, in that process. Rondo's not in the rotation every game, right? And so... Um, you know, and, and you know, I think the Clippers extinguished their personality problems over the last year that have helped them out a great deal. So it, it has to do with personality, but it's a very, very risky thing to do, and it's not something we've done, right? Like our eight veterans were our eight-man rotation this year, and then, and then after that we had, we had youth, and so you didn't have anyone disrupting the locker room, and that's usually the way to do it. He's David Locke. He joins us every week. Breaking down the NBA, the draft, free agency. Hey, do you have a date on the start of free agency? Is it August one? We were debating that so. the other day. Yeah. I think so. I think. I mean, I think the. I, I would suspect as much only because it's the fiscal. It also, is the fiscal year. Yeah. Right, and so if you didn't, you wouldn't want to start the fiscal year on anything other than the first. Okay. All right, David. We appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again in a week. See you. DJ and PK coming up. The Clippers getting off the mat. We got a lot of reactions from you. We will get to that coming up. Stay with us. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz. But the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you apart by SNS Roofing, your locally owned roof repair experts for a free quote. And for all your roofing needs, call SNS Roofing. He's talking with David Locke there about the Jazz going forward, watching the Clippers and Suns go forward, seeing some of the themes over and over again. You get any ideas watching these games about what the Jazz ought to do in the offseason? There's one theory that says just, just run it back and see if you're healthier. Of course, a lot of other people could be healthier next year, so there's plenty of people who are groaning at the mere mention of that by me. Come on, DJ! You know other people are going to be healthier. And if so if you don't run it back and be healthier, then how do you tweak it going forward knowing you're capped out? And not complain about that too much, because so are a lot of other teams. Look at the Nuggets, look at the Suns, look at the Lakers, look at the Clippers, <laughs> look at the Warriors. Yeah, you have a good team. 
And so I get, well, you can't really, you can't necessarily use injuries as an excuse as to why you lost to that particular team when Kawhi Leonard isn't playing. But what you can look at is that you weren't as good as you were supposed to be, that you expected to be, that you can be. Not that you could be. I think there's a difference between the word can and could. To me, can is a high probability of it happening. Could, well, if things come together and this and that. No, I don't see that with this ball club. To me, they can be a legitimate title contender again next year. I expect them to be a legitimate title contender. Now, I realize others can be healthy too, which can make a difference. Obviously, Anthony Davis blah, 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 but you're looking at the Lakers, and so you you can't really necessarily worry about what they're doing, and you're not in the position where, uh, like when the statues, you were just aiming towards the Bulls, you knew the Bulls were over there because the Lakers weren't mature enough at that time, so the timing was right where you were the dominant team, and you can think about the Bulls. That's not where it is right now because the West has got a number of uh, talented teams here, and so you're not really sure. But everybody has their own issues because if the Lakers aren't healthy again next year, well, Anthony Davis has really never been any period of sustained health in his NBA career, and LeBron's going to be 37 years old, right? So, but don't get caught up in that. Is what I'm Mm -hmm. the whole point I'm making. Focus exclusively on yourselves. I mean, you're aware of what's going on because you have to be aware like they were. The Clippers cut Joe Ingles years ago. Boom, we know a little bit. Quinn Snyder has been pounce on that. We know how that story's developed. So you're certainly aware of what's going on. I'm not saying just totally put blinders on, but focus on yourselves and what you can do to potentially achieve to be as good as you can be. And if they believe that's simply re-signing Conley and finding ways to have some internal improvement. Everybody can improve. You asked Joe Ingles, I think, in the exit interview as far as him uh, improving. And he said, yo, I'm going to go improve and get better like I've done every season. And I love the way he said it emphatically, leaving no doubt, even as he goes with his national team. So he won't have as much time individually to work out, but he still can use that time to get better. And plus, he, and we just had him on uh, yesterday, and he's talking about how he can get better even with having the national team commitments. And Bogdanovich, you know, Bogdanovich is going to find a way. We saw him develop, at least uh, in the Jazz uniform, taking it to the basket. Okay, one of the things I think he needs to do is find a way to not to get the ball poked away so much. You know, little things. I like that he was able to get in the paint and use his size and strength because that's an advantage for no him question. against other guys. No question. Yeah. And people close out on him really hard because they fear him as a three-point shooter. You don't want to let him get on a roll. But you're right, that was the downside of him getting into the paint, is it led to a lot of turnovers, which led to a lot of fast breaks. He's, when he turns the ball over, he doesn't throw it out of bounds. No, you it's set like up your defense. It's getting smacked away. Yeah, and, and, and they get a two-on-one or yeah. whatever, right? It just seemed like that happened too much. So I see promise in this ball club being able to get better next year. I think the injuries have to be broken out. I think what happened to Donovan, just that traumatic thing, he should be back, he should be fine. That Now, it could happen to anyone on the floor, so that's always a risk in any given year. I think what's happening with Mike, that just seems chronic, and if you re-sign him, you just have to accept that this is the price you pay for getting the really good games he provides. I I would just think that if if he is back next year, the plan is he doesn't play back-to-backs just from the get-go. 
You know, they, and it seemed, I thought that was working in the second half. I was a little surprised when he got hurt again. And maybe if he does it all year. I don't think he plays March and April. <laughs> put, him, <laughs> put him on a shelf and get him healthy. Because it's apparent that standings don't really matter that much relative to health. If you compare it to health. If you compare it to health, I would absolutely rather have health yeah. than worry about the seed, the matchup, and home court. The health has been, and when we had Trey on earlier this morning, but he's on to talk Ralph Salt Lake and soccer, but he's a huge Nuggets fan, and we asked him about it, and he went right to the health card. And the Nuggets can do it, and I think it's legit. The Jazz can do it, and it's legit. The Lakers can do it, and it's legit. The, Clipper, the, the Warriors have been able to say it for two years. And Kawhi Leonard, knee, maybe it's not that big a deal. They're, they're talking about day-to-day, so he should be fine after an offseason. But there's plenty of people who think there's something really wrong in that knee. And if it's the ACL, then the Clippers are going to be the first team we're going to find out is going to be shorthanded next year. And I don't know that financially they can run it back with these guys. So while they seem to be overcoming losing him right now, I think they're going to have some of the pieces of the puzzle taken away in the offseason. Well, Reggie Jackson hits free agency, yeah. Uh, But I'm not worried about or concerned about other guys unless there's dramatic offseason moves that changes the balance as you know the the clip the uh, how I'm dramatic ta- i mean durant, uh, I'm, ta- I'm talking off the top of my head we're not getting the, durant to the warriors no but the blazers decide hey we're just stuck in the middle i mean they've been a good team but they don't ever go anywhere mm-hmm. and so we're going to go young so we're going to take these warriors picks and we're going to take wiseman and throw in some other stuff to salary cap it out and i'm just speaking here to just completely and totally hypothetically. So we're going to give you Damian Lillard. And so now I got Damian Lillard, I got Steph Curry, and I got Clay Thompson coming back. You know, so that, that makes them, wow. So I don't, I don't necessarily see that, but because the point I'm making is that these teams, there's, there's several really good teams in the West, and it seems like going forward that – the team that emerges, health is a significant factor. Now, I may be wrong in that. If, if the Clippers emerge, you really just have to praise them because they emerge without Kawhi. That's very, very impressive. They withstood. Maybe it's how good can you withstand the major injuries that you have? Maybe that's what it is about. And if the Clippers do that, good on them, man. I, that You have to give them... Give them their due if that's the case. And if the Suns do it, well, we looked at the Suns, and Locke been talking about that down the stretch, that the Suns of all the teams had the best health. Uh, so I, and I imagine Chris Paul will be better uh, in Game 4 or 5, whatever it might be, than he was obviously in his return in Game 3. Yeah, but to the health issues, Booker wearing that mask, how much does that I mean, mess with his shooter? His nose is broken in three spots, they said. Right, and how much does the mask... We've oh, seen different guys. Right, we've <laughs> seen different guys wear the mask, but I don't know if the guys I'm thinking of have ever been as dependent on vision and shooting as he is. I mean, most, that is his game. Most guys who wear masks have issues just with depth perception because of how it affects yeah. your vision. Yeah, I would think it would but be awkward. You look at Rip Hamilton, who played with it for seemingly his entire career after having his nose broken so many times. But he got used to it. He got I mean, used Booker's to it. Booker's wearing it for game two I was and three. Say, Booker's not wearing this long term. If you wear it for three years, yeah. Then I assume you gotten used to it, and it's fine. And Booker but, obviously was affected by it, right? Yeah, and he's going to have to learn to deal with it, and he's—he, I think he will. So I, I still think the Suns are going to emerge. So I would say manage the season next year, 
And if you don't have the 20 out of 21 wins and blah, 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 and we go crazy over every single game, uh, but maybe back off a little bit on that. Find ways to do whatever you can. And you're at the mercy of fortune to an extent, good or bad, uh, well, as far as that goes. Well, Locke talked about it. You know, the Clippers are the four seed, but they also had a significant number of games where they didn't have their team. So you focus on what is their record and what is the, you know, and then the underlying numbers, all the stuff you can dig into. Do they back up that record when they have their team? And you got to check the quality of the opposition when they have their key guys. Well, they because know. then they know, right. But I mean, guys like you and I can do it. The, the hardcore fan base can do it. And if those numbers back it up, like, hey, they're the, I don't know, three seat, whatever, four, whatever. But when they have their guys, look at the win-loss percentage. And then everybody goes into the postseason with more confidence, players included. Confidence matters to these guys, and they'll know that storyline. I think most GMs and all the front office officials, and it's now just, you know, they're multiple guys, multiple people now. Yeah, the uh, staffs have gotten huge. Yeah. Like the coaching staffs, the front offices right. are much bigger. And I think they know what they have. You know, they don't come out necessarily and publicly say it. Nope. But I think they know what they've got. And so if they need to sit players X, Y, Z, whatever it might be, uh, and nurse that Conley situation, because he's a good player. He's, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he's a Hall of Flame player or a great player, and all, but he's really good. And he can really, really help you. And so do whatever you can, as much as you possibly can, to manage those situations because everybody else is doing it the day and it sucks in a sense of well somebody might have come from idaho down here to see me play yeah I, I get that and then it sucks for them but and that <laughs> that same person from idaho if he's doing that or she's doing that that probably means they're a good hardcore fan and so they'll take you winning in the playoffs and and i respect the the old guy's Big time, man. Thurl Bailey for playing 84 games in an 82-game season. And Mark Eaton, repeatedly. We know about the two who got the stuff looking right out here in the window. There's John making that pass right now. I see it every day. (laughs) And, you know, great. They did it. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. And their coach, yeah, I I had to take a sick day last week, earlier this week. First time in over 10 years I did it. And I feel like I need to apologize to Jerry. (laughs) <laughs> you don't have to apologize to me because I want to stay healthy and you were sick. So I've trusted your work ethic for a long time. If you text me at 1 a.m., you, you, you did, that you're sick, then you're sick. That's so fine. I don't know what what was in the water then and what's the difference now. I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. It's crazy. Well, because they never talked and whined about it and will never know because they won't even now. And it's, it's impossible to know. But did they play through stuff? Because that was the way Jerry wanted it, and it became the way they wanted it, too. Let's not put it all on Jerry. It became the way they wanted it. But were they more injured, or were they more fatigued? It was expected And is that I don't know. You know, would they have been better in a playoff series, any one of the number of heartbreaks that people can recount, if they had taken 10 games off in the regular season? Sure, but it wasn't like they were the only team doing it. No, it was a different era. I get that. And to think that for a good chunk of their career, they flew commercial which is even more fatiguing. I mean, the, everybody who flies charter says, oh, my gosh. I mean, you still it still wears you out, but it doesn't wear you out the way getting up for a 6 a.m. commercial flight does. Oh, there's no question. Yeah. I mean, it's better. It's still bad, but it's better. Yeah, there was no question. I remember one time when I was uh, 
you know, uh, dating, I guess you would say, uh, my wife, she uh, flew, they would go to Arkansas for Christmas to visit her grandmother. And so they were coming back on, a, like a, the flight got in to Sky Harbor at 2 a.m. And that, those are the days you can walk to the gate, right? Yeah. And so I get to the gate and I'm standing there and the Mavericks are there leaving a game that they played Phoenix that night. Yeah. It's like two in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so, and they're just milling around right there in the seating area in the concourse, you know, because that's we what they get did. Yeah. They're rolling pace on it. And they both told me stories about <laughs> being wired after like an overtime game or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, it's one o'clock and you're not tired and you know you have to be downstairs at 4 30. Not awake at 4 30. You have to be downstairs at 4 30 to get the bus to the airport at five to be on the plane at six. Yeah, and it's yeah, one yeah. o'clock and you're wide awake. The adrenaline is just. You know, you played a thrilling game. You're just like, oh, this sucks. Are these guys soft now? I don't know the answer because Mike Conley, before game five, was it? Or was it, it was a day off leading into game six, I think it was. He said, obviously, I could play if I could play. And I believe Mike Conley 100%. But what's going on? I don't that think these guys don't play as much. I don't. I think regular and postseason is two different things. When a guy can't play in a regular season, you can have whatever suspicions you want. When a guy can't play in the playoffs, he's hurt. Guys don't miss playoff games. Even the guys who sit a lot of games, they, they don't want to sit playoff games. The playoff games are the best. Their reputations are on the line. All the players tell you it's the most intense. It's the most fun. It's the most challenging. It's the thing you miss well, you the don't most. Want to when let you your guys down. Yeah. You're a team. You know, we're a team, you and I, and Yak. And I appreciate that you just don't take that much vacation. We're a team. We got to be here. That's part of the deal, man. The audience expects it. Yeah. Where are you? And I can remember growing up when the people I watched or listened to when they weren't there, like, what's the deal? And sometimes you get like, well, it's the holidays. They're going to be gone and all that. But sometimes they'd be gone and you're like, why are you gone now? Come on. I'm here to watch you. Let's go. Right. And plus, it's really fun to be here. So it's a great job. And I don't mind miss. I mean, I yeah. don't mind being here. In fact, I enjoy being here. Uh, but I don't know what's going on as far as if anybody's got explanations why those guys played 82. And I looked up one year, Oscar Robertson averaged over 48 minutes a game. He averaged over 48 minutes. Okay, but back to the statues. You know, I, I, he had to be out there. He was awesome. He was dominant. The team was not nearly as good without him. But would they have been better in the playoffs if he'd been fresher and not worn down? Well, that's the old Cal Ripken argument. I can remember having this very argument in the Daily Breeze newsroom. Should he sit or should he not sit? And, of course, you know, I would wait till whatever they took. In the other side, <laughs> no <right>? way. <laughs> you do that? How come I do Whoa, opposite side Why of the aisle? Why am I aware of this? You and, go first. I'll go the other way. And, the, and, the, and we're sitting there. We used to just yak at all, all hours of the night about whatever. We'd have these ridiculous arguments. You know? People don't know the way it works yeah. in the newsroom, but there's a lot yeah. of hurry up and wait. Yeah, and it, it was yeah. fun to, to do that. We would just sit there and go out to eat, come back, and blah, blah, blah. Just BS the night away, and then at 9 o'clock, we'd be in a frenzy to put the paper out. Well, and the guy was talking about, well, his backup, his backup isn't better than him. And I said... 
to your point, okay, his backup isn't better than him generally. Obviously, he's Cal Ripken. He's a Hall of Famer. But at the same time, if if, if he took a couple of days off, Cal Ripken on that third day would be better than Cal Ripken on those first and second days when if he should have been resting or took a blow that he could be better when he came back versus playing every day and not be the Cal Ripken that Cal Ripken can be. So some 220 light-hitting shortstop subs for him for a couple days, and he comes back stronger. And so that makes the team better. No, the player who's backing up Ripken isn't better. I get that. But Ripken can come back better if he had some rest. So we were just going back and forth on that. We'll never know the answer. I don't know the answer to your question, but it's a valid question. When we come back, PK speaks it into existence and then plays the victim. What a good day for him. And he didn't even know it happened. That story next. Rises and fires for three. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz. You're but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA Draft to free agency and on to the Summer League, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Reminding you, the top 60 and 60 is back on The Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness right here on The Zone Sports Network. Media day, 32 days away. Count it down. College football's coming. I saw the email come out. You, uh... You send it back in? Scotty handles all that. Scotty handles it? Okay. As far as I know. <laughs> Talk to Scotty. Every year. They just send it out for the credentials. There's usually a week or two there to get it in. Yeah, the credentials. And that first year we were down there, Larry the Lakers shows up. <laughs> no credentials. <laughs> just standing there. PK, what's up? <laughs> Introduces <Larry>. himself. <laughs> I think it was me, Scotty, and Ben Bagley at the time, if I remember. Hi, I'm Larry the Laker. We're going back uh, (laughs) 11 years now, so it would have been the first, it was literally the first one for the Utes, and I think that's the three of us went down there to to do it, and there's a guy standing there and waiting, obviously, until we're done with uh, when we go to break. And then introduces himself. Well, how'd you get in? I just they said I pulled up to the parking lot. Are you here for the Pac-12 media day? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Top-notch security there. And this year it's at the W Hotel Hollywood down there, so you could probably just book a room and be like, "Yeah, I'm here for it." <laughs> so, I don't know why anybody would though. And uh, although actually uh, they had it at this uh, Hollywood uh, mall thing for Correct. the last few years, and my wife. She always comes with me, and she would drop me off in the morning so she could have the car. Because especially now, it's a one day deal. It's much longer the single day as opposed to yeah. two days. So she dropped me off at like seven o'clock in the morning. Come back about four to pick me up, and it's upstairs on the top. And she said she got busted a couple of times uh, walking up because she didn't have a credential. So, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, be careful on that this year. Check the price on those rental cars. Apparently, the rental car companies sold a lot of their cars. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's extremely Supply outrageous. and demand, and it's like a no, thousand. We'll, well, we'll take care of one of our sponsors. That a kid. All right. Yeah. Because the rental cars now, if you're trying to travel, yikes. 
no, I've done the uh, Larry H. Miller, the one with the big green tent. Well, you don't fly in and out for it. Uh, like no, somebody I else and might. And then Tim you, Daly sent me. You make you, you put a vacation on one end or the other or both and mm-hmm. do the week. And, Plan to do it this year. Yeah. But go ahead with your thing. All right. So uh, yesterday, I don't even know how it came up, but somehow it came up that my Twitter account well, is you, verified you, you and has bragging. a blue check mark. No. You were bragging about I, it. I, I literally don't care. Oh, but, but, you're, but you cared enough to get it done. Yes, because I had someone at work walk over and say, you will do this. You couldn't. No, and then they walk you, you through will it. Do this. What are they going to do? Fire David James Sniggledorf the third worth, if he doesn't not, do it? It's not worth the effort. And someone did try to you do that. You will do this. That's another story. Okay, if everybody said to me, you will do this, you know what I would no. say right back? No one says that. You will do this. Get it was out implied of town. when they asked like the, it was implied when they asked like the third or fourth time. You it will didn't do happen this. Right away. So then it became a big deal. Like right now, like exactly this. And then Yak, what happened when you woke up this morning? We were trying to explain to you how it's verified and oh, it came up because someone was claiming that they'd been hacked. And so Jay this Williams. verification is supposed to be providing another level of security or something. I don't understand it's it. Jay whatever. Williams from ESPN. Right, it was Jay Williams. That's what brought it up. So Yak, when you woke up this morning, what happened? Yesterday. You were not verified. Yeah, I woke up this morning to an email saying your account has now been verified. So, PK, thank you for speaking it into an existence. He's got the blue check. Right. There's only one of us out of the three who's a nobody, and that's me. Yep. And I intend to stay a nobody. <laughs> I am a nobody, and I will always be a nobody. You're a somebody. I am not. My, like I'm not verified. I don't have no blue check mark. That's just because Scotty hasn't made you do it yet. Well, I... They say on the thing there, put down your email, and I never put down my email anyway, so maybe they've sent me all sorts of, well, that's, they want to. That's but probably I, the first step. I, I, I haven't given them my email. They want my email and phone number. I think, no, you're not getting my email or phone number. But I'm not verified. I'm a nobody. And I revel. People driving to work, you probably work now, but I'm you. I'm not hoity-toity guy who's verified and has like 25,000 followers. I got like uh, 1,400 and so I'm not verified. I'm nothing. Fact check. 16,000 followers for PK. You're somebody if you're 16,000. That's on a way low end. I'm sure I'm the lowest end of anybody at the much. station. I think I'm in 19-something. David yeah. James, 19,280. Yeah. Well, you should be verified. You're pushing 20. <laughs> What? <laughs> You're like that announcer with hey, the helium in his voice. 19,000 followers, 19 years. Can yeah. we get to 20 by the I time mean, you get to 20? I've been stuck at 19,000 for rain. Every time I get to 20, they do some purge and, and wipe out 1,500 and I'm back to 18,500. Yeah. Bots? Oh. Yeah, they get rid of the bots or whatever. I don't know why anybody would follow me. Because you're Patrick Kinahan and you're somebody. I'm nobody. I'm not verified. I do not have the blue check. All right. Stop with your whining. I'm, I'm just pointed out. You guys are blue checked. I ain't. Coming up. Beats me. I don't know. I had something really good for this tease, and now I just choked right here. Just blanked. <laughs> you completely chased it out of my mind with the whole blue check mark rant. Uh, you rant. brought it up. I know. Very no, but you ran. I can't remember when what I was going to talk about. Well, yeah. you know when I lost it is when he went to the helium voice, which that was funny, by the way. That was hilarious. I'm just speaking from the heart, man. All right, DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I'm going to spend the next five minutes thinking really hard about what it was, and we'll see if it comes back to me or not. It's a mystery, people, and the solution may or may not be on the other side of this break. Stay with us.
Kids, 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Summer LASIK Sale is on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-2080. That's Davis Vision. So a lot got you going. The weather, a little rain yesterday, cooled things off. It was much. It was awesome. It was much nicer, man. It was yeah. back down to eighty after uh, after ninety five or hundred. It felt so good. Well, rain the lack of is real. It's a real issue. Yeah. So, guess which city you always talk about? No one in Utah should be hearing about the. You should be complaining about the seat heat because it hits a hundred or one hundred five in Phoenix. You get one ten, one fifteen. There was a one seventeen. Did they just do that, or are they about to the one seventeen? That just the happened. week before last. Yeah, week before last. 117. Guess which American city is about to hit 114? 114? Yes. Riverside. <laughs> and obviously, it's unusual for this place, or I wouldn't be bringing it up. Uh, I mean, one, you know. One, you're, you're getting warmer. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I heard the, the uh, Seattle and uh, Oregon and up there were supposed to get a big time heat wave. It's Portland. Yeah. Portland is going to hit yeah. 114. Seattle's going to be 105. I'm getting warmer. That was funny. Thank you. Yeah. That, that was, was delayed like the joke with your wife. It wasn't that complicated, PK. <laughs> You're right. A few seconds later. Oh, that was funny. Uh, the heat wave hitting up there was just supposed to be unprecedented. Yeah. It is. Completely. This, Good. They don't do, calm down, Portland. They don't do 114. Uh, I think it goes the other way. I had a friend who... Uh, Guy who was a photographer in uh, Santa Barbara, and he took off uh, before I did. He got a job in Phoenix and went there. And I talked to him a while later, and he said, yeah, it's kind of weird here. He says, I, I like it when it's cooler. We shoot some cool stories. The station does some good stuff. But he said, when I hear the radio in the morning and it hits 110, I know I'm going to be shooting stories about people losing their mind all day long. Road rage. Um, I think it's the other way around. Road rage. Well, yeah, but he get what? The people go crazier at 80? People go inside. Yeah. Most, yes, most people do, but he's shooting the rare exceptions where people lose it. Okay, well, you're going to yeah. have that all the time. No, I thought it was, that was you, there's no protests in Phoenix in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get out on the asphalt and march, people. No, later. You're just going to wilt away, man. Yeah. The heat is extreme, so it's impossible to be out there doing whatever. So uh, that's what makes this place... So awesome weather-wise in the summer. Yes, it's on the hot side during the day. I understand that. But at least in the evening, you can cool off to a degree. You can enjoy some time sitting outside uh, down there. No, it's impossible. You're inside all the time. It's just too blazing hot. The malls are packed in the summer. AC, baby. Free AC. Yeah. Now, malls have taken a hit generally anyway. A lot of people shopping online and so forth. So movies are big. And I said, I don't know what movies are here, though, in the summer. Do they relative to the winter? We hardly ever go to the movies in the summer. But when we do, and I'm not a big movie guy anyway. But um, your wife is. But, that's why so, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's fine. Well, it's they released like the, in a normal year. And I don't know because the pandemic's messed with everything. And certainly it's messed with the, the movie industry. Uh, as much as any other industry. But normally, that kind of uh, end of school year, May, June, the blockbusters come out, and the studios all space them, so there's a new one every week. We've and got you, one this week. What is it? 
Fast and the Furious 9. Oh, yeah, I saw this. And I don't pay attention to that. But my point is that we go far more in the winter than the summer. That's true, and that's why they kind of put these blockbusters in the summer. Trying well, to in the winter, people. but in the winter they release a bunch of big stuff leading up to Christmas. That's they a big do, time, but they and tr- to get them eligible for the award season. But they're trying to do what PK's talking about, trying to attract people to the theaters during the summer when people typically wouldn't go. They put those blockbusters out right. there. Yeah, but the kids are out of school, and you're not worried about homework and stuff, and you can go at night. And but I don't. I would rather be enjoying if, summer if, nights if just sitting around right. watering the flowers or whatever it might be, as opposed to, so I'm not a big movie guy to begin with, and I, I don't know that we go to the movies at all in the summer, whereas we went, even during the, once they opened the theaters back up during this recent time in which we were all, you know, pandemic and all that stuff, we would go, uh, I probably saw four movies in the winter, and hardly anybody was there. And you go like three, four in the afternoon, and there's not going to be as many people there either. Right. Uh, so then it'd be even less. So for us, it was about that. Well, in Arizona, the movies are packed <laughs> in the summer because it is just so hot. And it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that in an area of the Northwest where they're they're just not they used to that at all. Well, number one, they're not used to it. And uh, my wife talked to friends of ours who used to live in Utah and had moved to Portland, and she was just talking. Um, the lady uh, a couple days ago when they were talking about this and they said, well, nobody in Portland has AC. Right. You don't That's need correct. it. Right. And Jill just, uh, who's a longtime listener to our show who used to live in Seattle says, yeah, nobody in Seattle has AC. Right. You get 105 in Seattle, 114 in Portland. A, they're not used to it. And then B, you got no preparation for it. So I would assume that a, there'll be a lot of complaining, and B, well, people and head it, to malls and movie theaters. And it's also a safety issue, too, for, for older folks and the more vulnerable oh, no question. in that way. Yeah, we didn't have air condition in Utah until about four years ago. And I didn't have it in California. Now, obviously, I had it in Arizona. I didn't have it in California, but we got uh, it here. Uh, yeah, and I didn't. And we just talked about but, it the other day, that swamp cooler thing. Yeah, the they first, ought to call it a suck cooler because it sucks. It does, when, when you need it most, <laughs> it can't deliver. It can, like, take a little edge off. No, the It can do- get 87 down to 80, the, but you hit 100, it's, it's useless. The dog... Because it would the, the the cooler thing would come through the hallway, and the dog knew to lay right underneath. Oh it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm gonna be right here. Yes. And plus, Pets I know am that not right away. Handy in the least, and having to get up on that freaking roof. It's time to winterize times. the swamp cooler. Oh, it sucked. I hated it. I had man. a neighbor who helped me because I'd never been around swamp coolers. I didn't know how they work. I didn't know what I had to do. I, I literally just looked at it. it. Was like Greek. It was Latin. I had no idea. Well, in Arizona. We had both. So you have the swamp and the AC. Or, so you're not constantly running the AC because it could get hot in May. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to turn on your air conditioning. You crank it up the first week of April. Psychologically, it's devastating. <laughs> psychologically. It, is, it really We're is. getting back to the Clippers series. It is. I'm <laughs> telling you. I'm telling you. That's the way people thought. Yeah. They would think. It's not oh, that bad. The swamp cooler can handle it. I need to turn on the AC. Yeah, because, because you're thinking uh, it'd be like. If October 1st and October 15th and October 20th, we got three major snowstorms. Like, wait a second here. Is this going to be one of those winters? Blah, 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 blah. And so it's the same philosophy down there. So finally we broke down and it's one of the best investments, if not the best investment I made on this house because it makes a major difference. But I don't take it for granted that we can afford to do it. And some folks can't. 
and the situation being, well, man, what's it going to be up there? Because there's going to be a lot of health concerns up there as far as that goes with that type of weather in an area that isn't used to it or has virtually no experience with it. So how are they going to handle that? Wow, that that uh, I sort of have, uh, what's the word, not pity, uh, compassion, I guess, for them. Uh, when they when they endure this, when it comes and it's here and it's going to be there for a little bit. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, everything you missed in today's show, we'll get you all up to speed. The Clippers are doing it again. They got the Suns in game three. We have seen this as the pattern about to repeat itself for the third consecutive series. And we will get to that next. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. From The Athletic, he's our friend Sam Amick. Mike Conley's a free agent for the first time in his career. How big a factor would his health be in deciding whether or not you want to be in the Mike Conley business? You talk to your sports science people and, and just gather all the evidence that you want regarding his own personal history with injury and trying to essentially predict if you invest X amount of money, what percentage of the time can you reasonably expect him to be on the floor? Good luck getting that right, but he's coming off a very good year. I truthfully don't know what the market's going to be elsewhere for money for Mike. Age is all is going to come into play. But to me, a hamstring, you know, it's going to recover. And they're obviously a lot better with him. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to get you up to speed on what we were talking about. And, of course, we are amazed that the Clippers have done it again. Down 2-0. They go home, play a great game, huge run in the third quarter, open up a massive lead. Suns got back with an eight, but no closer, and the Clippers win comfortably 106-92. No real drama in the last three or four minutes. No real pressure. Paul George goes for 27. Reggie Jackson adds 23. And... I can't believe they're going to do it again. But you're crazy to rule them out. They've done it twice, and they looked really good in Game 3. Way better than they looked in Game 1. Well, they don't have to come back from 2-0. They only have to come back from 2-1. Yep. So that's not that big of a deal. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they their moxie has been so impressive. Role guys who seem so cocky and in the right way. So I'm curious way. which ones... Uh, man, oh, Re- Reggie Morris. number one. What Reggie number one? Okay, yeah. Uh, Zubach, plays a player. Obviously, he's got tremendous size, but you got six offensive boards. That'll get your attention. Yeah, that's that's bonus possessions, and, and usually fifteen boards. Usually, it's either you get the offensive rebound, you either get the tip in an easy two, or if it's a little longer, you kick it out to an open three point shooter. So it's not I only to get the ball I, I in the possession. Pass it out. It's not only the ball in the possession, but it's often a really good shot. And, and I actually love the Clippers' offense because it seems like every possession they've got one or two three-point shooters wide open. Yeah. And Paul George has been 
brilliant as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely love his game. I get it. Human being missed two free throws. It's there. It happened. It's the way it goes. Uh, But his ability to know I've got, when I drive, I've got great size and I can dribble the ball very well. So I've, I'm going to get to the, somewhere to the basket. Whether I can get all the way remains to be seen, but I'm going to get there at least in terms of making a defense collapse to a degree. And then I know either on my left or my right, I've got somebody standing wide open. These defenses now, stop collapsing. Yeah, but you're afraid he's going to get a whole series of layups and dunks. Then make an adjust, <laughs> adjustment. And I with mean, these shooters and the confidence they have, I'd much rather give up the two. They're very jazzish in that regard in that they do get a lot of open threes. They take a lot of threes. Now, they didn't take as many as the Jazz, but they also shot a higher percentage. So it's no surprise that these guys are crushing it from three. They were good three-point shooters all season long. Number one by percentage, not by but volume. But these role players that are coming up so much bigger than we actually anticipated is so impressive to me. And man makes a contribution with only going 0 for 1 from 3. 12 points, 6 of 8. So he's 6 of 7 on the two-pointers. Five rebounds, couple assists. That's sweet. So yep. Ty Lue taps him to move in the starting lineup. Boom. Gets production immediately. This is so impressive to watch them do their thing. So are they going to do it again? We coming back in here Monday morning. Game 5 should be Monday night. Is it going to be 2-2 or 3-1? The Suns going to have a closeout game at home? Yeah, I expected 6 or 7 anyway. I would. I, I always thought, wow, Phoenix is just not... Maybe not necessarily downgrade Phoenix, because I'm tired of downgrading Phoenix. <laughs> uh, they're like Boise State in football. I'm done. Or like I used to do in Gonzaga basketball. They're not really that good. No, I've come around. Yes, they are. And the same type of prince. Boise State's good in football. And that's just a fact. And I don't care if they're getting two-star guys, whatever they're getting, they're good in football. Gonzaga That might not, be changing, but that's a show for another day well, this summer. Well, Gonzaga has... Uh, Gonzaga's they, not changing. They've graduated from the gutty little dudes. No, they're getting top-flight guys now. Mm-hmm. They're getting top top picks. Yes. So they're getting all-stars in the NBA. So they've, they've, they're beyond that. So Gonzaga's not even a question anymore. They're getting the top recruits in the country, yeah. and they're turning them into top draft picks. Right. So, uh, and I didn't really view the Suns as being all that. Well, I've come around, but I've always viewed the Clippers as being really good. And the Clippers just sort of... they're doing it without Kawhi. Which is all the more impressive, yeah. yeah. And and these guys, these role guys, they, see... They, the, so was Reggie Jackson, we brought this up that with, out. We brought this up with Locke. What? So Locke, Reggie Jackson is in Oklahoma City, and he's a fourth or fifth guy, and he leaves, and Locke's reminding us about how the Oklahoma City guys have bad things to say, you know, don't let the door hit you in the butt, get Maybe on out of here. Was back then. Now he goes to Detroit, and he tries to be guy, the guy, and he's not, and maybe he's paired with a guy who isn't the right guy either. Who's that guy? A lot of guys here. What are you talking about? Well, Stan Van Gundy was his coach. Are you talking coach or I was Well, both, but I was talking more player than coach. And who's the player? This was in the right setting. It was Blake Griffin. Okay, I didn't know who you were talking about. Yeah, and so maybe he didn't have the right running mate. Maybe as a number two guy, maybe this is who he is. Maybe he was right to be frustrated with his diminished role in Oklahoma City. He's, He's more capable, but in Detroit, not the right setup for him. 
But maybe as a second banana to Paul George, this is really where he should be in terms of NBA talent. It's a small sample size. He's going to be a free agent. This could be a classic case of a team overpaying. Or you could be pouncing at exactly the right time. If someone gives him $20 million in the offseason, are you going to freak out? In the NBA? No. No, there's far more lesser players making more money. That's my one quibble. Get your money. Go ahead and get your money. Uh, The thing that I have a problem with is they pay enormous amounts of money to guys who don't really make a difference. So he's 31, and as a free agent, he'll have to decide, do I want to win a championship at this point in my career because in these next two to three years. But it's also, this is the last big payday. If you're going to get it, go get a big three- or four-year contract now. You're 31. You're not getting one after it. If he wins one this year, then it's taken care of. Uh, I'm going to have to see. I don't know. But I just like guys who rise to the moment. You can't analytic that. You can't stat that. To me, it's about heart and the will and that type of thing. And this Jackson kid right now is showing it. And I'm rooting for the Suns, but I can appreciate it because I don't really get that much involved. Uh, it's no big deal if they don't win to me. Uh, so I just wonder if what you said about that will, you know, and I just wondered if the Jazz deep down really believe they were the team because he could be wrong, but Reggie really believes he's the guy. Well, right now he he's, he's got shots shots going in. Yeah, he thinks he's that guy, but he thought he was that guy back when he was in Oklahoma City. I don't know what the circumstances were then. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's about now. Right. But if he's, I'm saying he might have been carrying that belief around for a long time and he's finally in a place where he gets the ball a lot and he's got a good team around him. Yeah, and he's got I, a coach who's, you know, won two championships as a player and another as a, as a coach. So he knows he's been in this moment before. Sure. But I, I kind of view it as a Jeff Hornacek. When he was with Philly, they sucked. When he uh-huh. came here, they were going to the finals. So, you know, he's a, a very important piece. He's not the piece, but he's a very important piece. So I wouldn't overinflate his individual value. I think that's, it's all that's about a good a way of saying concept. it. Right. So you're, you're, you're guy five and you're frustrated in Oklahoma City. You're guy one, but you're not good enough in Detroit. But now you're guy two, but it's a deep roster. I mean, they can run eight different guys out there, and they can all do their thing. There's a bunch of interchangeable dudes, yeah. yeah. And it's impressive. How big did you think that shot was? Uh, Luke Kennard's in the corner, gets the ball, he gets fouled, yeah, four-point yeah. play, the place erupts. Now, he's a, he's a very definition of a role guy off the bench. He's playing 20 minutes, and he's not even scoring in double figures. But that was a big play from a momentum point of view. Absolutely, it was, it was huge. gigantic, yeah. yeah. And the thing that I love is every one of his teammates has confidence in him. Oh, yeah. Yes, And so he, he gets the ball. Paul George knows when I'm making my move and I'm sort of zigzagging in the If the they key, leave him, I can give him the ball and get it done. If I see Luke over here and he's wide open, I'm getting him the basketball. That's what I love about basketball is it is really a team game and you've got to rely on your guys, whoever those guys may be. And here, you don't care what the guy's background is. You don't care what he looks like. You care nothing about that stuff. You don't care who he voted for. You couldn't care less about any of that stuff. All that matters is Paul George has got the ball, and he sees Luke Kennard over there, and he believes that Luke can make the shot. And so that's the right play. He makes the shot. That, to me, is cool to see. 
Absolutely. I absolutely love watching that type of stuff because that's two or three guys, whatever it might be, working together and having complete faith in the other guy. You know, you know he's going to be there. Now, he may not make all the shots. That Obviously, he's not going to. But he's going to make enough to where you can believe in him. And Kennard, yes, he's playing a valuable role. And I love that he keeps himself ready to go. That's what these pros are. You know, you're not really these guys off the bench. You're not necessarily paid to play. You're paid to be ready to play. And you've got to be mentally prepared for the situation if it should come your way. And that's what I love about these guys, Kennard, Jackson, uh, Batum, Mann, I mean, and Zubach. I mean, the list goes on and on. Because basically you've only got one, right now, one guy you consider to star. One. That's it. But they're getting it done in Game 3. Now will they get it done in Game 4, get back to 2-2? We'll find out Saturday night. Uh, Atlanta-Milwaukee tonight, Game 2. Man, Milwaukee. Milwaukee's right where Utah was, right? The path is right there. It's Atlanta. They're the five seed with no playoff experience. But they're hot. They are hot. They're the proverbial hot pitcher, hot hitter. Not necessarily a big-name dude. Al Weiss. It's a big home run for the Mets in 69. They're Al Weiss. Look it up. Look it up, man. I was there that day in Shea Stadium. Regular season? Playoffs? Playoffs against the Orioles in a World Series Game 5. I just said it. I don't know how old you think I am, but okay. (laughs) You don't have to. You could be one or you could be 100. You can look it up. I could look it up. And I usually do. And when I do, you make fun of me. (laughs) Now I'm going to look it up and you're going to make fun of me. Right. So that's part of the plan. (sighs) What game was it? I just said Game (laughs) 5. This is what you normally do. And I see why you do it. It's fun. <laughs> Yuck, did I just say game five? I know you <laughs> did. What game was it? <laughs> game five. What game? Al Weiss. Al Weiss had a nice little career. He played in the bigs for 10 years. <laughs> he looked it up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the amazing Mets, man. What, what game was it? <laughs> Actually, I don't know. I think it was game five, but it may not have been. <laughs> it's just making it up and yelling at me. <laughs> but I just remember it and uh, the name Al Weiss. I mean, how do you forget Al Weiss, Cleon Jones, Ed Cranepool, Wayne Garrett? You can go home again. Jason Kidd played in Dallas, then played in Dallas again late in his career and won that uh, title in 2011. And now the Laker assistant is finalizing a deal to be the head coach, reportedly putting together. That's one of the great ways to find out if someone's getting hired, right? What? It, well, if you can get word on who they're picking for assistance. That's how stuff leaks. Is oh, a newspaper yeah, 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 guy yeah, 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 yeah. that was like, how do you break that kind of story? Well, you find out. You don't go ask the the general manager or if it's college athletic director. You start asking or the guy around. Who didn't get the job, right? You start. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, he'll tell you. He'll tell you. But the uh, the assistants in the world of assistants, they know who's going where and why. When oh for sure yeah, uh, Croton didn't get the job. The guy who was in the running called me mm-hmm. and said, "I didn't get it. He's getting it." Yeah because I had established a relationship with him leading up to that because that's normally the way it works. Or if somebody you're really tight with doesn't return your calls all of a sudden. You know. And then... They don't want to lie to you. Then and they wait, can't leak it. Wakes a, waits a couple of weeks later and then on Christmas Day calls you and said, hey, sorry, I couldn't call you back then. Uh, 
you know, I had to keep things under wraps. I'm not naming names here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but, you know, I said, oh, I understand. And we're, we're good. Nudge, Absolutely. nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, I knew you had to keep it quiet. I, I get it. We know what was going on there. And I hope you tear it up uh, in your new job as a head coach of your football team. So. <laughs> <laughs> Narrowing it down for people in their cars. I'm not naming names. But, uh, uh, almost, I mean, though. And that's the way that went down. So. And then also going home again, Rick Carlisle, four years, $29 million to go back to Indiana where he was an assistant. He went off to Detroit as a head coach and went back to Indiana as a head coach, then off to Dallas as a head coach. I heard that uh, Jason Kidd was the sixth. I don't know if it's true, but I heard he was the sixth coach to return to a team that he won a title for or with. Does that like count magic doing 12 games? <laughs> I guess he won them with the Lakers. I don't Casey know. Casey Jones went back in Boston and obviously he won titles. And I don't know if that counts because he's not going back. I, I don't know how that counts Bill Russell because he was still there when he was named a player coach for two years. Yeah. So I, I wonder know. if those guys count. Because when you hit me with a list like that, well, I immediately want to know. Pat Riley would be. Oh, because Riley was on their 72 team? Riley, wasn't he on the Lakers then? On 72? Yeah. Again, before my time, could be. It's one of the things I could look up, but I don't remember the 72 Lakers. I assumed he was one because he was a Laker, wasn't he? He played for the Lakers, didn't he? He did play there, yes. Did I mean, he bounced around the league. Oh, he, he did? He was a journeyman. He played for the San Diego Rockets, believe it Oh, he not. did? Oh, I, I had in my mind that he played 10 years. and Yeah, he was played. on that team. You're right. Played eight or nine with the Lakers. I thought I always viewed Riley. Oh, I, I don't remember him playing, but I remember I viewed him as a player. On that wasn't bad. San Diego Rockets, L.A. Lakers, uh, Phoenix Suns, and he was done at the age of thirty. Yeah, so, so that's I, still a good run. But three teams, not not four or five. The, me, the when I heard that stat, I immediately put Riley on the list. Yeah, you're right. He is because he was on that on that championship team. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't as integral as Happy Harrison. I understand. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, Rudy Tom Jonovich would go on that. Rudy T played for the Rockets and then coached him to their two titles. So okay. Rudy T would be would be part of that. So you got half of the, and I don't know, maybe they did count Magic. Although he, that doesn't seem like they should. That seems, <laughs> I mean, he coached, but not really. Yeah, that seems uh, very, very weak. Uh, let's see. Uh, did Lenny Wilkins win a title with Seattle? And did he play for Seattle? <sighs> well, I guess we'll have to find out. I don't know. The Seattle had a title in the 70s, didn't they? Yeah, they won one right at the end of the 70s. And I don't was Lenny Wilkins the coach? He was not in Seattle as a player. He retired in 1975 in Portland. Oh, Portland. So he was all he did play in Seattle, but he played in the late sixties, early seventies. So okay, he's so not he on the list. Won the title, but did he, didn't he? Who who was the coach of that Seattle team that won the title? I have to look that up for you. I don't well, know. Look it up. That's why I was asking it. Come on, you're the. I'm looking up a lot of stuff all at once. The looker upper dude. I am. That's a true story. I used to know a lot of stuff. Now I just look it up. And how about Red Holtzman? Did he play for the neck the Knicks? Oh, now, now you're going back. That's, that's, that's the way back machine right there. Uh, let's see. Because we're, we're a couple shy here. We are, but we're getting close. 
I am struggling. What are you struggling on? To find the Sonics coach here. Oh. Well, but the, okay, pass that. The time has come. Pass. Go to Red <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll find that later. You want, oh, you want a Red Holtzman? Yeah, because didn't he win a couple of titles with the Knicks? Yeah, he was the coach with the Knicks when uh, Phil was a player because he went two as a player, 70 and 73. Yeah. In 73, I told you that's when I was friends with the, the son of the mayor in the town and they got tickets to the game and invited me. And we went to the garden in the finals. In '73, and I'm very doesn't very look young. like red coach. He was uh, he went, coached. You mean played? I mean he didn't play. It looks okay. like he was he was coaching at the age of 33 in 1953 and 54. So let's he, see. He maybe he did. Oh, he did. He did play early on. He played for Rochester, and I don't even know what that abbreviation is. What? <laughs> what? Oh, Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Hawks. When the Atlanta Hawks were in Milwaukee before St. Louis, he played in Milwaukee. He played for Rochester, Milwaukee. He didn't play for the Knicks. Uh, well, Rochester's down the street from New York. That didn't count. <laughs> All right, we'll work on that list. What was it? Six? That's six what... players, and, and Jason Kidd goes on that list. As six, or he joins the six, and he becomes seven if he gets hired. I'm not sure. So okay. maybe he is the one of the six. No. So we've pretty much got the list there. All right. Your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Kurt Healing from NBC Sports and ProBasketballTalk.com. Looking at the way the West is forming and LeBron James feels like he's starting to hit his ceiling and things are changing, do you try to just make a run back at what you had? I still tweak it a little bit because I don't think the West is getting easier. I think the Suns are more confident now, guys. Kawhi's going to resign and the Clippers will still be very good. The Lakers are going to make changes on the margins and if LeBron James and Anthony Davis are healthy they're going to be right in the mix so like I don't think you can just kind of run it back and think it's going to be like this year I think the West is so deep with good teams you don't need to make wholesale changes this was still the best team in basketball during the regular season and still fully capable of making a run but you have to think about are there players or tweaks we need to make that give us a little more versatility in those last 16 games Hanson Scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network here we go now you've done it done what you chast the trailer i still remember the amazons pk <laughs> jerry is it grote or grody Oh, the catcher, Jerry Grody? Jerry Grody and J.C. Martin catching. And his Don, backup was Duffy Dyer. Went to Cortez High School, same high school as Alice Cooper, where my wife coached freshman basketball. Don Clendenin and Ed Cranepool oh, at first. Oh, first base? Yeah. Al Weiss and Bud Harrelson at second and short. Yeah. Ed Charles at the hot corner. Oh, Eddie Charles, Cleon Jones in left, Tommy Agee in center, Ron Swoboda in right. Was there a more fun name to say than Ron Swoboda? <laughs> and Ron Swoboda. I remember him later. I think he was in Montreal. He became a sportscaster and was a sportscaster yep. in Phoenix. Ron Swoboda. Seaver, Kuzman, McGraw, and a wild card named Ryan. They did have Nolan Ryan on that team. And don't forget, there was a guy named Gary Gentry, also from Phoenix, who was a well, uh, there you go. Now hard thrower. Yeah. And then Clint checks in. 
Oh, at David DJ James, at Jacob C. Hatch. Oh, look at the high rollers over here. Good for you. Oh, Hashtag team nobody with that PK Kinnan yeah, for the win. Yeah, I'm not blue checked. Not yet. I, I will never be blue checked. I think that's you have true. to have a status. I don't have a status. You totally have status. I walk out here. You today. always do that. Nobody you will know who I am. That. There's nobody Another. out there. It doesn't. The, the, I'm in the world, not right down below us, right here, right now at ten o'clock in the morning. You said, <laughs> and I quote: <laughs> "Takes me literally." <laughs> There's no way Eccles knows who I am. <laughs> He George won. or Spence? Spence. Oh. There's 100% chance he knows precisely who you are. He knew who you, you were. Because you told him. No, he knew who you were when you were writing for the Trib in the 90s. You slipped him before a 10 Before you say, did hey, radio. Did you go up and say hi to PK? Before you I know did you TV. Did he is hardcore. He lives and dies with his Utes. You slipped him a 10. Every victory. If you turn around <laughs> and donate to the U. <laughs> Ten, ten bucks to Spence Eccles. <laughs> ten bucks doesn't get you in the door. Hey, I got ten bucks if you'll take a meeting. No, I'm busy. Well, ten bucks to me. How much? Y'all yeah, that's ten but that's bucks. you. That's you. Say ten bucks is ten bucks. I'll yeah, I'm, I'm a nobody. I am. I thrive on that, man. That's a lie. Jimmy says, I'm sticking to my guns. With the exception of Gobert, everyone on the Jazz are either short or slow. They need a couple of long <laughs> athletes to win a championship. Okay. Well, give me short Donovan Mitchells. <laughs> Reggie Jackson isn't big NBA-wise. Right, but he's surrounded by 6'8 guys. You can have a short guy. His point is that every player you look at, the other coach is thinking, oh, I know the matchup. I got to give that guy to give him you a You think problem. lack of height contributed to Utah not being playing and playing today? No, I think it's more, I think it's more the athleticism. Okay. But I'm, I'm I, greedy. I say that. I'm greedy. I want the height, too. Well, but when you're getting yeah, beat Kobe off the Bryant dribble. Kobe doesn't drop off trees. <clears throat> when you're getting beat off the dribble, it's not because of your height. That's your ability to move laterally and stay in front of people. Yeah, and they I need mean, to Dylan Brooks that. got. I get that. Dylan Brooks got roasted by Donovan, and Donovan clearly enjoyed that. But when he hit that outrageous three right in front of where the the Miller sat forever and ever, Mitchell or Brooks, Mitchell did. But Brooks made him change direction twice and stayed in front of him, and then Mitchell just hit a just a <laughs> incredible three over him. But. Lost on that is like Dylan Brooks. I mean, he stayed in front of him. He played some really good defense. He was moving his feet. And not everyone can. There are guys who want to do it, but they just they can't. And he's, he can. He's willing to work that hard. And he's got the ability to move like that. Because if, that, if he weren't that good, yeah. Donovan would have never hit that three because Donovan would have been by him to the hoop. That was Donovan's first option. He wanted to go to the rack and throw one down. I want junkyard dogs, man. Yep. That's who I want. And if they're a little short... Or a little slow. Yeah. Uh, okay, so be it, man. Royce, I, I, Royce, ballers. Royce gets the toughest defensive assignment, but at 6'4", he does have to go against guys who are 6'8", 6'9", and can shoot over him. And occasionally, he's got to go on point guards who are quicker than him, and they put him in the middle of the floor. And that's not exactly how Dennis Lindsay phrased it, but I got, I, I had to feel that's what, that's what it seemed to me he was going at. What? Well, it, um, Royce is a great defender because he's strong, and you put him a wing, and he's got the sideline to help him. So that's good. But you put him in the middle of the floor 
on a really elusive guard, that's a problem. Okay, but who isn't it a problem for? Like three Agreed. or four guys? Agreed. And that's why that's why Royce is getting paid the money he's getting paid. There's that acknowledgement, like you can't stop everybody in the NBA. You just don't get to do that. I'm not you sure know? you can stop anybody if they've got it going if on. If they've got it going on. And the key is can you stop them before they get on a roll? You know, make their life difficult and maybe they just don't get on a roll. Because a guy like Damian Lillard is gonna get his twenty five points, but if he's not having a night, he scores his twenty or twenty five points or whatever on 20 or 25 shots, and, and you can get by with that. As opposed to the night he gets it going, and he hits you for 40, and he's shooting 60% from the floor. Well, keeping guys in front of you is paramount because it's not just your guy because right. then everybody has to collapse, and then you end up Terrence Mann. is open because Rudy had to leave points. him. Right. And that, that stuff will just – I'm not even hardcore, but that, that haunts me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I try not to think about it. Because it really bugs me that they're not playing still. <laughs> Jeez. I just saw this. Austin to Jacob C. Hatch, P.K. Kennan, and David D.J. James. Austin Facer, Dirk's son, who's now in the media. Welcome to the club. See you at the Ice Cream Social. Austin has a blue check mark. He has a blue check mark? Austin has a blue check mark. You need a blue check mark. I'm not getting one now. We're getting you one. I don't, I don't deserve becomes, one. Becomes, I don't deserve one. I don't. You're too low of a bean. I have to work harder to get it. it. Because I believe you get what you deserve when it comes to working. And if you work hard enough, you'll get. You'll get good enough. You may not get the ultimate. Okay, we're going to have to have Dunny on at some point because he's got a blue check mark. Of course and I got he a should. And, I, and I'll, I'll bet you. He's an international soccer guy. <laughs> I'll bet you because he went to for, for uh, he does satellite radio show on Sirius. And I'll bet you he got it because of Sirius. And I've never asked him. But that's that's my the guess. The guy is in the soccer world. He's one of the big names out there. He's oh, here. It is another one. Sarah Todd, Deseret News, jazz beat writer, blue check mark. Of course, she's the link to the basketball community. She's been around. This gal's a hoops junkie. She lives and breathes and dies it. She should have one. She's earned the right to have it. I haven't earned the right to have it. There's a massive difference here. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Have a good weekend. Hands I won't. And Scotty I don't are have a blue check mark. You're going to golf. Hands and Scotty are coming up next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.